Cheering at pro wrestling shows in Japan is back, and 2023 is already shaping up to be a big year in the history of pro res. That's why you should listen to the Emerald Flow Show. From the Royal Road to the Green Mat, Paul and Gerard take you into the world of All Japan Pro Wrestling and Pro Wrestling NOAA. Not only do we analyze events, but we examine business, who is getting over, what angles are working, or not. Occasionally, we take a look at other Japanese promotions like DDT and Zero One. So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, available on all of your favorite podcast apps. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. TNA is the best wrestling in the whole world. You've never seen anything like this on Spike TV. The quantity of speech is not always indicative of the quality of thought. I'm Captain Charisma, you silly bastard. This is wrong. You got robbed. You got robbed. You got robbed. You've been painting in an unventilated room. Maybe you need to go back to rehab. Oh, 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 come on. Now, that wasn't necessary. This is BS. This sucks. I've lost my objectivity, and I don't give a damn. Welcome, everybody, to You've Got to Be Kidding Me, episode number 44. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. On this episode, we're talking about the month that is January 2006, leading up until Final Resolution 2006. I'm Garrett Kidney, and I am joined by Liam Jones. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Wow. So let's head right into... <laughs> I guess we should start that if you if you listened to the watch-along, you heard the slow decline of Liam's health over three hours. It was a good time. Mm-hmm. If you would like to see hear Liam physically suffer rather than the usual emotional suffering, that's usually tied to watching these full shows, but yeah. physically suffer over the course of three hours, tnhat.com. You might as well give him some money for his physical pain. Yeah. I mean, it would have been better if it, like my appendix had exploded and I like died or something because then it would have been like some real morbid curiosity around it Mm, mm. but unfortunately despite doctors literally telling me my appendix was exploding um it did not so you're feeling fine now i feel i mean physically (laughs) the same mental anguish is there as always but physically it's fine well that's good at least do they have it was just a muscle strain or something was it um, I was apparently severely hydrated. Dehydrated. <laughs> severely hydrated would be crazy. Yeah, they think, like, I might have torn something in my abdomen. Mm. Um, and just, like, those two things probably correlating in some way. Uh, let it be noted that before we recorded, I told Liam to get something to drink. He's like, nah, I'll get it halfway through so I can spend some time leaving TNA for a minute. <laughs> and I stand by that and I'll do it again. Uh, so I am a good podcast co-host who looks out for the hydration levels of my co-host. <laughs> You're said i could stop doing it and i was like no you were like i will insist on carrying this goddamn watch along right through to the end uh-huh. even if it kills me so other than that is there anything going on with you uh it is almost christmas time mm-hmm. jingle bell jingle bell yeah a single jingle bell why you said jingle bell you didn't say bells it is jingle bell rock not jingle bells rock Oh, I thought you were doing jingle bells because no, you only did the jingle bell part. I, I don't have a whole a whole like setup behind me to record the song in its entirety. I'm sorry. You hear that is too. Uh, your room is too echoey. No, it's actually quite good for that. But I just don't have a. 
musical accompaniment? Band. No, yeah, exactly. What if I told you I have a band right here? <laughs> Hit it! Three, two, one! <laughs> Who needs a real band when you have your mouth? <laughs> That's what I've always said. Like, why do we bother with instruments when you can just make noises with your mouth? Garrett uh, standing hard for the beatboxing community right now. Damn right. Or, like, making instruments on computer programs. Yeah, boo. Who needs that? Who, who needs who, all of it? Who needs people who have committed years to, like, learning their craft and every inch of an instrument when you can just hit some keys on a keyboard and it goes, blah, violin. Yeah. Mm. I'm trying to think of, like, some way I can cancel musicians. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> can I say it's classist? Yeah, those some of those instruments are like thousands of euro. It's anti-communal to learn an instrument as a trade because mm. then you're not actually contributing to your society. Yeah, and you're just excluding those who can't afford an instrument. Yeah, it's it's inherent classism too. Fucking musicians. That's what I've that's that's what we're going to stand by, the anti-music podcast. Please listen to our music of the mad appearances. I was about to say, this is why we hate Andrew Rich. Mm-hmm. We're at war. We're trying to take him down. His deep, critical analysis. I've only been on that show, I think, more than anybody else. Or at least, <laughs> I'm, I'm top two. But I think he's been on more. That's true, and he has had co-hosts for a while who have probably been on more. I think I've been on that show, like, seven times. It's too many. It is a lot. Gotta hit double digits, though. Then you get a minority stake in all earnings. Is that how podcasts work? You get on 10 and they have to give you money? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Mm. You see, I will do any podcast guest appearance, though. If, if people ask me, I'm like, yeah, sure. Even if it's completely unrelated to anything in your purview? Yeah, because it panders to my ego that people think I'm interesting enough to be a podcast guest host, which I'm not. I don't know where they get that impression from, but they're like, ooh, let's invite Garrett on. They just need another accent. <laughs> That's true. I sound exotic. <laughs> yeah, we, we have to we have to get the, the Irish contingency. I don't even have a particularly strong Irish accent, but they're still like, hey, he sounds different. I feel like your Irish accent has diminished slightly since I first met you. Really? Mm. So what do I sound like now? I don't know. I don't know what I sound like either. I sound like some neutral Atlantic. <laughs> the way you said it then, it sounded like American. <laughs> I don't even know what I sound like either. Yeah, becoming an anime character. <laughs> Yeah, you're becoming an anime voice dub. Yeah. Ironic, considering the only anime you've ever watched has been in sub. Yeah, I watch it in Japanese. I, I, I admire the purity of the original source material. A true connoisseur. Even though I do not stand by that principle in any other regard. <laughs> I'm like, fuck it, I'll watch any adaptation. I don't care about the purity of the original source material. Mm. But Naruto? That's important. Yeah, well, you know, you gotta respect it. Garrett, mm. Give me uh, your top three films of the year. Oh god, I have watched nothing but, like, a parade of muck in 2023. I have not watched any, like, good movies. That's that's good to hear. There's probably... I, I think one is probably Oppenheimer. Lame. Uh, the menu was technically last year, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, um, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. Mm-hmm. And because I, even though I rated it higher than other movies, I just don't want to say the word Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. I just don't. I can't. So I'm just going to say Wonka. I had a great time at Wonka. Very good. Because I saw Wonka recently. And it's the thing, because like, uh, it's directed by Paul King, who directed Paddington and Paddington 2. And Paddington 2 is one of the best movies ever made. Guy who has only seen Paddington. <laughs> this has big Paddington, <laughs> Paddington energy. Which it does have big Paddington energy. It has the same thing Paddington has in that 
all the good characters are the most like cartoonishly kind people imaginable and all the evil characters are like the most cartoonishly horrible people imaginable so you get people playing like both ends of that spectrum in a great uh, fun way especially like the evil people who get to do like full mustache twirling i'm an evil priest who oversees a, a chocolate um cartel or protects mm-hmm. the chocolate cartel i guess and that's just fun it's you just watch people have fun and then you have fun and then everyone else is nice and they sing songs and everyone has a nice time with modded control of 20 or whatever the fuck his name was on youtube <laughs> as the lead isn't it funny that there's just a world where that dude is a youtuber most kids his age were where that shit caught, caught on and he's not like a world famous actor he's just the oh, guy yeah. who produces youtube videos he's a streamer he contributes nothing to the culture once again classist i've been thinking about that recently about like how much do streamers contribute to the culture Mm. because like there's something about streams that is inherently transitory yeah you know the streams are meant to be consumed in the moment not that they can't be consumed in vod but like the whole point of them is that they're live and interactive so like most of that culture is only best consumed while the person is live and like how much of that is going to still exist in 10 years you know how many people are still going to be going back to watch like their favorite ninja stream from 2017 Mm. years into the future especially like for someone who makes content like that which i assume is just very much in the moment because like there are like some streamers who will be like we are let's play streamers or whatever and you're like i might want to go back and watch them play the, the specific game or something yeah or if they're like an irl stream you're like i want to see this specific moment mm. but it's like i guess i guess that's why at least it feels that a lot of streamers have moved their content from being just like someone who plays one particular thing to being like we have shows and skits and plans for things that we stream now it's basically like independent tv now yeah and then ultimately you end up creating something something that might actually stand the test of time as opposed to as you said like if you're a guy who streams Fortnite, who gives a fuck about your you know 221st of 300 Fortnite streams this year you know <laughs> yeah like I, yeah you, it's, you eventually become big enough to just be a content creator i guess it, yeah, it's just weird to think that like some of the most famous people in the world for making things are making things that have no long-term value like nothing that people will go back to like they that's like not that's not to say there is no value in streaming there's no, it's just weird to think like you know the holding value of the material they make is practically non-existent a lot of the time it's just it's just exists in the moment and fades away i mean i think more than any other content it's probably the most parasocial too Mm. and because there's interaction with streamer man and they are your streamer man and i use that in the gender neutral sense like you feel as if they are a friend or something and it's like when you click on their daily stream you're not watching a piece of content you are interacting with your friend on the topic of parasocial relationships if you would like to support the show, you can head to tnachat.com or patreon.com slash kiddingme, where you can uh, support us on multiple tiers and get lots and lots of content, including watch-alongs, including secondary shows, including star ratings. We'll be doing the end-of-year stuff for 2005 after this episode comes out. So lots of stuff at tnachat.com, patreon.com slash 
me. I appreciate everybody who stuck with us over the last couple months. I'm sure if you followed me on Twitter, you probably would have seen that my dad passed away at the start of December. So doing podcasts has not been at the forefront of my mind, but I appreciate everyone's condolences and everyone's support in the last few uh, months. And for as much as it is worth dedicating an episode of this dopey podcast to my dad, I would nonetheless like to do it. I'm sure it's what he would have won. Yeah, he definitely would have listened to it. <laughs> he, uh, I'm a staunch supporter, I imagine. He did get a kick out of the idea that people would pay money to support us on Patreon, but he did he didn't actually listen to an episode listen, of the all, show. All of our all of our parents think it's fun that we make money out of it in some manner. We do silly podcasts, and people are very kind enough to give us a little bit of money. If we were smart, we'd be streaming it. And then, but then we would have no long term value. But we'd be making specific content. Mm. We would have skipped ahead from the the content with no long-term value to the content that is evergreen. That's a good point. Mind blown. So that brings us to the news. A lot of people are under the assumption that TNA Wrestling is now a company turning a profit. My god. But according to Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer, that isn't the case. That seems more accurate. The losses are not at the level of the 1 million per month that they were bleeding for most of this year before the Spike deal, but the fact that the characters were trying to negotiate a partial sale of Sock to a silent partner, which hasn't happened, to raise $12 million of new capital for future expected losses tells you not only are they still losing money, but they expect to continue to operate in the red for some time. So TNA, you might be thinking, they got on Spike, everything's fine. They're not quite making... Uh, being on TV money. It is, like, interesting, because there was the story the, a couple of weeks ago, because WrestleNomics kind of tried to work out AEW's finances, mm-hmm. and I think Brandon came to the conclusion, based on a, a decent number of assumptions, which he goes through in the, the WrestleNomics article, that they were losing about $30 million still, and it is funny to think, like, I think TNA lost $20 million over the first three years, and everyone was like, failed company, how could they exist like this? It's terrible. It is interesting to see how stuff like that flips, because because basically, they, they, they operated on more or less the same business model. AEW were a lot bigger, a lot faster. But, like, they, they kind of had the exact same principle. In that, like, we are willing to burn money in the first few years in order to get that big TV deal that will make us sustainable in the long run. How much did you say that um, TNA lost in their first year? I think Dave said something to the extent of, like, 20 million over the first three years. So, 35 million today. Yeah. So, so about one year of AEW. <laughs> it, it is, like, it's just one of those things. It's like, I, I, it did work out for TNA, and then they started blowing even more money and stopped making money. Because there, there is a period in, I think, 2008, 2009, where it is generally accepted TNA was a company that turned a profit for a little while until they started blowing money on Hogan and blowing money on going on the road. Listen, I can relate to that. No money, and then suddenly get paid, and it's like, oh, time to spend it all. Yeah, blow it all on Hulk Hogan, brother. Hell yeah. But that's where AEW kind of sit right now, where they're looking at their upcoming TV deal, being like, this is the one that takes us from the red to the black. This is the one we've kind of worked for over the first four or five years of our existence, that we were willing to burn that money because we knew if we established ourselves in the marketplace and established ourselves as a television ratings draw, this is the money that would be there for us at the end. And (laughs) And Punk was like, (laughs) let me lower that significantly. Blow it up and take it all to WWE. I wonder, if, like, how much of that is, like, WWE's, like, thought process. Like, well, we can kill our biggest competitor. Mm. <laughs> By just being like, here, want us? 
And I don't mean kill, kill, but I mean, like, we can... The thing that they've been, they have been waiting for for years, we can mm. significantly cut into it or altogether remove it as they have to go look somewhere else. Which is an act of pettiness that is very fun. WWE have been, like, really pettily, like, anti-competitive. And I know, like, wow, WWE, a company that tries to take down their competitors, that's very unlike them. But, like, mm-hmm. they're, still, they're still going in on AEW, which is quite funny. Well, that's what they do. Because, like... They won. At they won. They yeah. won. <laughs> like, like they lost the Wednesday Night Wars, but they—it's the classic. Like, I think even Triple H said it in his very first um, statement about AEW beating them. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And like, they—they they did win. Like, it, there is a moment in 2021 where the two companies came not close to each other, but like AEW was on the up and WWE was on the down, and then AEW started going down, WC started going back up again, and they won. Yeah. Well, they're winning. Well, yeah, and there's like, yeah, while we have this advantage, we have to leverage it for everything it's worth against the all elite wrestling. It's just, I don't know, it's uh, like, it's it's not so gloom and doom because like when you really break it down to it, like Tony Khan will run that company until he no longer wants to run it, no matter mm. what. Because at its, its core, no matter how much it is not or is a sustainable business, it's still a vanity project. As it should be. Like, as all pro wrestling should be, as, as our president Hiroshi Tanahashi should make New Japan pro wrestling. Yeah, as soon as pro wrestling stops being a vanity project is when it stops being good. <laughs> mm, and people are trying to cynically make money and then you get what WWE's television is these days. Exactly. A soulless, heatless mess. I watched some of SmackDown last night because I wanted to subtweet the um, Santos Escobar against Lashley match because it happened in TNA. And <laughs> of course. God, it's just one of those things where you're like, I, I really don't get how people watch this thing. I think they're just accustomed <laughs> Yeah, and it's not even like the content of the programming, which I think is largely okay. Like if if you took that, like the wrestling that happened, the actual content, and put it somewhere else that wasn't insane. It's just everything about its presentation, from its fans to its commentary to its look, that is just immediately off-putting. Yeah, because the crowds are dead, and then you hear the whir of the crowd noise, which is worse than it's ever been, by the way. Good lord, was it terrible during SmackDown. It's like one of those things where it's like, you used to mock it in like 2005, there was like the, the Funaki comes out and gets the world's biggest pop, and you'd be like, stupid. But like, you listen to it now, and it's somehow worse. And then as you said, like all the production elements and the cuts and the weird, blinding, bright light that just engulfs everything that's on their television. It's it's just, it's it's... It's just way too corporate, and mm. for an industry that just isn't made to be corporate. Yeah, it's a rebellious spirit at heart. It's mm. a carny, rebellious pseudo art that doesn't get respect from anyone, and that's how it should remain. <laughs> Dave continues. Also, if the company is turning a profit, they would not have been recently negotiating a complete sale to Morphoplex, which is honestly a premise I kind of reject. Yeah, th- there's never been a successful company that has sold. Yeah, if anything, you might make the argument that, like, they're like, we're closer to making a profit, someone might show an interest, now is the time to sell. Especially if it's not something that you're, like, wholeheartedly invested in. And you can sell, like, the potential of what they can do on Spike at the moment. Like, it's not the case that it'd still only be, like, we're losing money, we need to sell this thing. They might be looking at some decent strategic reasons why, like, end of 05 would be a good time to try and get out of TNA while the getting is good. They, they also might just think that this is the time where we mo- might get the most money for the least amount of money we've put in. Mm. 
because we won't have to keep putting money into it and we might get a decent check out of people being like well this is something on the upswing that we can invest in because like dave goes through the the history of people they tried to sell to including dave nelson who we talked about at one stage and the uh, the guy who financed trendy savages cd and some jared people that were brought to the table and like when they were trying to sell to those people they had nothing to sell really it's like we have this company that is not making money and does not look like it's going to make money and is paying for a television deal whereas now you're like we have this company that has like big name stars like sting and christian we have this company that has national television on spike tv there is something to actually sell at the moment so they might be at the point where it's like "Eh, maybe maybe now's the time we actually sell up on this thing make as much as we can back and then cut our losses yeah i think a part of that is like the idea of we also don't know like how long the good will be good so while we are good right now and like like in a decent position to offer something of value this is the time when we they're they're basically just trying to cash in their chips Mm. Uh, with more for Plex and others there were also attempts to bring in other partners for new capital while still maintaining control when push came to shove it was clear they wanted to maintain it but in the end it seems that when they think someone wants to own it it makes them think it is a viable business in the long haul so they're they're like the classic if somebody wants to buy this thing this thing is probably worth buying so let's keep it Mm. there is tremendous pressure to increase revenue since costs are pretty much fixed at around this level and in particular on raising the buy rates which is the quickest way to turn around business pant energy is a private company believed to have 200 million per year in total revenues but in recent years is believed to have been losing significant money recently it was considered a company in financial trouble last year in different newspaper stories and he goes through like how much money bob carter has versus how much money other people have um i think uh, panda got heavily into like renewables which is where they've made a lot of their money which at least means they're not a thoroughly evil energy company <laughs> i mean come only the normal level of evil that any company is and points out that there are no danger of losing spike tv so the carters at least as i said you could look at tna at the end of 2005 compared to the end of 2004 and be like there's a path to a sustainable business here there's value yeah which was not the case at the end of 2004 um two editions of tna impact will air on new year's eve on spike tv at 8 p.m you'll have your regular episode of impact in a primetime special then after ufc programming a second episode of impact will air at midnight with christian cage counting down into 2006 wow amazing i like this idea because it's like me when um they do the new year's shuffle tag tournaments in japan Mm. and you're like this is gonna be the first notebook match of the year oh when it ticks into the the official next year and you're like yeah turn open a new sheet in the spreadsheet baby pick a new color for the spreadsheet baby whereas here the first match is america's most wanted versus aj styles and christopher daniels for the nwa world tag team titles which could have done it it got close i think you went three and a half on it yeah some years when i was when i was writing every when i was noting down every match that went 3.5 and above it would have made it uh-huh. i think i I always went three seven five because i'm like i like three seven fives i did um i change because like i don't sometimes it's just i don't want to fill in so many matches i'm like this year i'm gonna do four mm. <laughs> this year i'll do three and a three and three quarters this year i'll do three and a half and four makes it a lot less work it does indeed but also i run math oh you do you are like a full sicko yeah well i was i have not done it like last year yeah i haven't kept a spreadsheet in a few years like covid broke my spreadsheet habit and then i'm just like i don't care anymore <laughs> i get through like february <laughs> mm. and then i drop off every year so i always have a very detailed first two months uh, spreadsheets are for life not just for christmas Liam. my god
Uh, I like this idea, though. It's a fun little thing where it's like you tape a little 30-minute New Year's special with a cool match and, like, the the big announcement. This is where they announce Sting is coming to TNA officially. Uh, we'll talk about the actual show itself, as we said, when we're talking about the stories from the month. But, yeah, I think it's a, it's a fun little thing that they never did again. Yeah, well, like, this is obviously when they have the most cachet with Spike at this time, too, so... It's I guess it wouldn't really make sense for UFC to do this. <laughs> I Like, they... they it's a lot harder to time <laughs> with fights that aren't pre-planned. Yeah, it's one of those things where if you are like UFC, it's like, what do you do? Do you send like Ken Shamrock out there to count down? <laughs> yeah, it's like in the middle of like some fight, they, everyone does a countdown. Fireworks go off as at this point, what, who would be fighting? Chuck Liddell. <laughs> yeah. He's just getting his brain caved in. You have the first fight of the year and Chuck Liddell goes out. <laughs> they time it perfectly to the countdown. Yeah, it, it was, of course, not live, but there's uh, some fun notes about Christian blowing the countdown that we'll get to when we talk about the shows. <laughs> they should have done it live. It's, it's one of those things that you would have thought, wrestling companies should do that as a like a, a little tradition thing. I guess you have to have the buy-in of the um the, the television network. Though in the streaming world, you can do some streaming special. But it's it's just one of those things that could have become like a cool tradition where TNA has It was a cool minutes. tradition in Japan! <laughs> Yeah, but like for TNA, then they had to then they had to get rid of it because of fucking what? COVID's time restrictions, and then they never brought it back to actually going through midnight. Oh, which sucks. What's the point of it if you're not gonna have the countdown before the main event? It's literally the whole entire point of the concept. Yeah, I'm very salty about that. <laughs> you clearly are. <laughs> I really liked like having the countdown and then being able to watch my first match of the year. Mm. Even though, the, the, how do time zones work? How close is Japan? I'm, 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 I'm like an hour in front of Japan. So you would have gotten there earlier than Japan? Yeah, but I go by uh, the region's time when mm. I go for dates and stuff. So TNA presented Sting in a conference call <laughs> with assembled members of wrestling. I hope you commit to that bit for the next 20 years that we do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to discuss his return to TNA, Sting addressed criticism that he doesn't have what it takes anymore and he'll simply overshadow the new stars of the business. He said his intention <laughs> are not to push everyone aside but to elevate the product. Sting said only time will tell if I have anything left in the tank or not. The way I left wrestling was not the way I wanted to leave. If I don't do something now at my age it's just never going to happen. We say <laughs> as we ramp up into the, like the last uh, three months of Sting's career. As we are on Sting's retirement tour in 2024. It's only been 18 years since he did this interview. <laughs> and he did basically the same interview when he went to AEW. Hmm. The way I left wrestling was not the way I wanted to leave. Yeah. Hopefully he does finally get to put his bow on it. I hope, like, something doesn't go terribly badly at Revolution. He starts showing up in MLW being like, The way I left wrestling was not the way I wanted to leave. Please, God, let me have this. It is like the Undertaker thing, where you continually chase that last match, but your last match is more embarrassing than the one that came before it. So it's just like, I need one more, just it's not terrible. I need a hit. And he finally got the Boneyard match with AJ, and he's like, that's close enough. Sting said he had recent conversations with WWE and Vince McMahon before signing with TNA. The schedule was one of the reasons, one of the deal breakers with WWE. I can say that they were willing to work with me on the schedule, but I know in 2006 they're going to be leaving the country more times than I believe they ever had. I'm sure there would be some times that would be barely tolerable. I spent too many years running at that pace. I don't want to leave my family again. Sting said he hit the gym to work out and be physically prepared for a return to wrestling. He said he won't be able to work the X Division style at his pace. Getting in there with Sanjay Dutt doing Dragon Ran as a... Oh, that's awesome. He should, and also kind of what he does now. Yeah, it is funny that he's he's just New Jack. 
The goal is to depend on storylines and work with larger wrestlers, such as Abyss, the Cariums. Thing said he would be able to walk into TNA with the intention of helping, not hurting, the wrestlers who are already on the roster. I know there are wrestling fans who don't want me to come back. There are wrestlers who Heathens. don't want me back there. Heathens. Then again, there's a lot of them that do. I know I have the physical part of it. My age is a factor. I have all these issues and these things I have to deal with. Thing said he wants to bolster TNA's drawing power to negotiate a better time slot with Spike TV. Uh, but they're once again no! Monday Sting, night no! bullshit. <laughs> god damn it they all they're all obsessed with this monday night war they can't leave it alone stink says i've been part of a company that had to do that before so i know it can be done again if anything maybe i can add some of the tenacity or the fight to be able to just fight through the tough times or potentially just the thin times that might be ahead <laughs> although i believe we're going to be successful they all they can't leave it go they just can't they can't leave it go uh, someone mentioned my critics and some of the guys who think Sting's going to come back and just push everyone aside. That won't work. I know one of the ways to give back is to actually give back and elevate some of the guys I'm working with. That is my intention. In the long run, if we do everything right, storyline included, it will be a payoff for everyone. Hopefully some of the critics will see it like that. Sting said he wants no part of booking and just wants to contribute to stories that he enjoys. I just want to get back into the mix and give back in any way that makes sense. Just the reason he hasn't put anybody over in AEW. I want to make storylines interesting again for wrestling fans i want the alternative to be a good strong alternative i'll offer all kinds of stuff for other people just like i did before i wasn't on the booking committee in wcw but i had a lot of creative control over what i did how do you feel about like i, I threw it in as a little jab there like sting hasn't put over anybody in AEW. yeah he's made wl on the biggest start but that's it yeah but that's just by teaming with them yeah but like that's still getting someone over do you think it has been a, a mistake the degree to which Sting has he's won every match. He's put nobody over. No, because there hasn't been a real situation where I'm like, Sting has beaten the wrong guy. That is true. And I again, like, I think his purpose, like, I think the value he brought to getting Darby over as a major star mm. over, like, is more valuable than the doofuses that he's beaten along the way uh, when asked if he would consider a run with the nwa title sting said i don't want the world title although if it makes sense to do that i'm willing to do that he's like no but yes which uh, honestly i believe <laughs> mm. other notes sting was indignant and nearly of offended when asked about a possible wcw reunion show similar to ecw one night stand Sting said, I don't really understand. History is gone. It's done. Why go back and rehash in 2006 the accomplishments WCW did or did not make? <laughs> well, Sting, let me tell you about how long that still goes. Well, like, I think that part of that is, like, a lot of the WCW guys were, like, actual real Major League Pro Wrestling stars mm. who don't, who didn't have to, like, hold on to that part of their career forever. Whereas, like, the a lot of the ECW stars, that was the biggest thing they ever did. Yeah, when you can compare, like, Kevin Nash to Just Incredible. Yeah, it's like, of course, like, a bunch of those guys are like, yes, let's do ECW stuff and get as much money as possible, when it's like, Goldberg's like, I don't give a fuck, I'll go do this shit. Also, Goldberg is a big enough star that he can just do new stuff. Yeah, that's the thing. I think, like, but a part of it is most, like, a lot of WCW were just bigger stars. Yeah, but when Goldberg comes to WWE, he doesn't need to do WCW nostalgia, because he's Goldberg. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, that comes from being in WCW and not having a reliance on it. Yeah, but so I'm, 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 stop yelling at me, I agree. Um, <laughs> You're yelling at me! I made the point I, first! I'm reaffirming your point, sir. 
but yeah, a lot of the ECW guys is just like, what do we got other than ECW nostalgia? Yeah. Whereas your D- well, DDP didn't really do much. He failed in the WWE run, and that was disappointing. But if you're a whole yeah, but he was still a big Ken- enough star that whenever he showed up anywhere else, it wasn't. Look, this guy's wearing a WCW shirt. Yeah, let's do the WCW reunion show. Sting mentioned The Rock as someone he wants to come back to, as someone he wants to see come into TNA to work with, and also <laughs> okay. mentioned Abyss, Samojo, and AJ Styles, top of his current list of wrestlers he wants to work with. Didn't mention Jeff Jarrett. He's already worked with him. Yeah, but he didn't mention He's I also mentioned Abyss twice. Dude really wants Abyss. Mm, apparently Sting wasn't too familiar with the product beforehand, but was blown away by Samojo. <laughs> Like most people. On the January 4th edition of Bite This, a caller sincerely asked Todd Grisham about Sting signing with TNA and how Vince McMahon must feel about it. I don't think Vince McMahon cares, Todd replied. He avoided the question by keeping it in character for Vince. He's the interim GM and he only cares about himself and that's about it right now, he responded. Good bit. Good response. This is one of those weird eras where it's just like... They had that call-in show and people would call in and just say shit and Todd Grisham would have to be there and react to shit. I wonder, like, how anxious he was before every taping. Mm. This is like, what are they going to throw at me this time? I just reminds me of that, like, that, um... Do you remember that clip of, like, Edge on the talk show? Where Which the guy show? rings up and in, 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 in his, I don't know, and is like, You're wrestling fake? <laughs> He's like, my, my kids and my wife tell me it's not his fake, but I say it's not. Oh, <laughs> and no. just like, Edge is like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> oh, dear. Tears into him. He's like, of course it's fake. <laughs> that is the woes of asking wrestling fans to contribute to anything. I haven't seen this, but like because of the Perth show, there's a lot of like um, you know, normie sort of WWE guys on morning shows and stuff, right? Mm. And I don't think there's ever been a country in this world that doesn't understand wrestling more than Australia in the mainstream. Are you still like back in the 1980s kind of stuff where we're like Yeah. Yeah. Like in the we have to mock it the whole time because of how mm. ridiculous it is. But apparently like Rhea Ripley was on one of the big like on one of the biggest morning shows and they were just destroying her with the most like stuff that like Americans would have said 20 years ago but now I've like I've learned to respect it. <laughs> Mm. and just being like oh is this wrestling stuff fake <laughs> like that kind of shit and poor Rhea Ripley just had to deal with it as she's being mocked live on air trying to promote this billion dollar company yeah it is funny how like we kind of got through all that in the US and it's just now like wrestling is just the same as any television show would be doing a junket it's just like Rhea Ripley is here to promote the television show she's doing that's what that's what's understood in America now yeah there was this weird thing because Becky Lynch is famously not a star in Ireland yeah I sorry before you bring it up like that was what it was instantly compared to when I saw it on Twitter was like this is like Becky in Ireland yeah so there was that interview she did with uh, a comedian here named Toby Tiernan a bit of a dope but he he has a a late night talk show and he had her on as well and like the the tone of the interview was the exact same thing it's like that's all fake isn't it it's like dude it's 2023 like everyone's gotten over it (laughs) this is not a question anybody asks like I don't even think kids think it's real anymore (laughs) like yeah, like, it's a different beast now. It is performance art more than it is a shoot pro wrestling thing. 
as you said, it is it is a billion dollar entertainment property. That is what it is, and it is seen as. And like, it's so weird that like, because Becky Lynch is not a star here, and she should be. Like, we cling on to anybody, and then she doesn't get any airtime over here. It's actually kind of bizarre. But then when she does finally get like a, a an appearance on our national broadcaster, it's just that same old shite of like, Asher, it's not real though, is it? <laughs> Yeah, I, it's, who, like, how do you even understand any of this? Because if you go back and read, like, mainstream writing about wrestling from, like, the 70s, there is always, like, the tone of, there is this weird carnal sensation to it that you simply cannot deny, but it is for the uh, unintellectual and the people without brains. (laughs) You know, they're, like, they they understand, like, the visceral appeal of it, but still look down on it. Yeah, I, it's, (sighs) it's hard, man. Like, how do you... It's just, it's impossible. (laughs) You just have to get it in front of people often enough that they're like, this is normal, okay. Yeah, I think that's a part of, like, here too, is that, like, wrestling is not on any major free television thing, and free television reigns supreme here. Yeah, it's the same in Ireland. Like, there's there's never been mainstream wrestling in Ireland, you know? It's not that, like, WWE has never come here, or there's never been shows on TV, but there's never been, like, a moment in Irish history where wrestling was in any way important to something that was happening in Ireland. And I'd imagine it's the same in Australia. As opposed to the UK, which did at least have World of Sport, you know, which was Mm. an actual cultural institution in the UK. And obviously pro wrestling television has been the backbone of cable since cable has existed. Wrestling wasn't... The only time that wrestling's ever been big here was like the 80s. Mm. was like it was the australian territory stuff like that was literally the only time we ever had like stars mm. <laughs> like n- where people would just know people like we don't have like th- like as big as it is still now we do not have that here and i that is part of like the fact that you know free television reigns supreme in this country and no one is on free television i know for a fact that like wwe like i was looking at it for AW, but like even wwe stuff does not rank in our ratings weekly like in our Mm. top 25 shows watched on exclusively paid stuff still (laughs) like just on like paid services it still doesn't rank in that it's like so it has to be like under a hundred (laughs) thousand yeah wrestling is at the end of the day still a pretty niche genre of entertainment it's like it's big in one country Mm. but it's just like it is the niches of the niche here and i honestly like i think i've been thinking about this a lot recently is like i don't foresee much like i don't know i assume maybe if this is the case in ireland too is like uh, australia i i don't see us ever getting behind an american property like that either mm. like we are very much like in our sport and sport like genres we are the home team kind of country so i just i couldn't foresee even WWE breaking through into the mainstream because everyone would be like ah oh, it's the fucking yanks do you think they could even get away with doing like an nxt australia yes to a certain extent it would have a cap on it um but it would need to they would need to get on like a proper free tv channel Mm. at a reasonable time so it's like it would be difficult because they also don't pay a lot for those shows (laughs) so it's like you have to pay a lot for this thing that you that you don't know would be successful to take up prime time on these networks it it is not a very like it's not a strong incentive for any of these channels to take it either no when you can when you can just do a studio clip show thing for like a 20th of the price and that will do gangbusters you can just do a new season of survivor australia uh it's my kitchen rules 
I'm currently watching Survivor Australia, so... Is it... How does it rank as opposed to other Survivors? You really overproduce it over there. Alright. There's, like... It's so, like, aggressively produced in every way. Like, you watch the US version, and when people are just having a conversation, they just put the camera on them and run the conversation. But, like, Australian Survivor is very much like the WWE version of Survivor, where there's, like, dramatic music playing at all times. It's like, lads... Mm. Scale it back a little bit. Just leave it breathe. You are a noted connoisseur of MasterChef Australia. Mm. How did that compare to other MasterChefs? I always liked MasterChef Australia the most because I think it was like the most chill and most laid back, and it was really positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we re- we rarely had people yelling at people. Yeah, whereas like Australian Survivor is really in your face about everything at all times. I'm like, guys, that, that's not what I want from Survivor. I want like Machiavellian scheming. I don't want like people shouting at me. Indeed. Sting was backstage at the TNA tapings before Final Resolution, but not used on TV. Well, his voice was used on TV, but he wasn't. Uh, Those who saw him said he looked good and was laid back and was interacting with a variety of wrestlers. He seemed to be enjoying himself and didn't seem distant or have a pre-Madonna attitude, which he was accused of during his previous TNA appearances. TNA wrestlers expect him to earn his money. Good for them. TNA agent Terry Taylor, who, along with the former CEO Frank Dickerson, was cautiously opposed to Sting being brought into the company, says he had mixed feelings about the decision. As a big star at one time, I think casual fans will remember Sting and that will help us, Taylor told WeeklyWrestling.com. But I'm not sure how that helps us when we're trying to promote guys like AJ, Samoa Joe, Daniels and Alex Shelley. I'm just wondering how that blend will be. Alternatively, Taylor said Sting has name value, which will help the company bring in new fans who are flipping stations on TV. There's also basic commitment from Sting. He's committed to work a full schedule for a full year, Taylor said. I think that's a good indication that he wants to be here. He insisted on working a full schedule. Taylor is sure Sting understands the commitment he needs to make, but he's not sure if Sting or management understand exactly what the relationship entails. There are times when you shouldn't go back, Taylor said. He has no idea what he's getting into. Dickerson. (laughs) That was was like 10 minutes ago, but... (laughs) I know, I had to hit my high spot. Oh, sorry. There would have been a Another mention of Dickerson in like two sentences, but Dickerson. Huh? Taylor said the office, mainly himself, was iffy on bringing Sting back to the company. Once Dickerson left the company, the office leaned more toward bringing in Sting with the encouragement from Spike TV. Uh, Spike also, I'm not sure when it comes out, but I'm pretty sure Spike did pay a portion of Sting's deal as well. So yeah, if you can get them to do that, why not? Yeah. He says, I know Spike likes TNA, however, if we don't get the people to understand who our characters are, we can't just... Uh, he's still the same old bullshit talking points and then goes to talking about how Trio are great. But it is interesting that, like, they're not wrong to think about this kind of stuff. To think about, like, there is a clear and obvious value in bringing in Sting. Sting is a big star. Sting is possibly people remember fondly. Parallels to current AEW are being explored here. Mmm. And a guy who, like still has the sense that there's a little more to offer and he didn't go out in his terms. So, like, there's a a clear and obvious value there. And then he punches Jungle Boy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But then to, like... The the flip side of that is to think about, well, how does Sting help TNA other than just Sting being there? Like, what does that do for Joe? What does that do for America's Most Wanted? What does that do for Monty Brown? That's, that's the ultimate question, that, like, we can't just make this the company of Sting. 
And there is like a worry when you look at like this month in particular, like Shannon Moore shouldn't be there, you know? Yeah. That like Shannon Moore is the guy that like you bring in Christian, fair enough. You bring in Sting, fair enough. Shannon Moore is the guy it's just like you didn't need Shannon Moore. There's nothing you have in Shannon Moore that you didn't have in Sanjay Dutt. Yeah. Um We've we've started it. <laughs> yeah, you you start. I'm like not that they didn't have it before because there was a period in like oh five where it's like you don't you, you don't need Billy Gunn. <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> but yeah. but like and now it, it's like uh, even Billy Gunn. Like you can kind of see mm. like if you squint your eyes really hard. <laughs> but like you look, at, you're just like Shannon Moore is like such a like blatant like <laughs> like Val Venus, you know? Yeah. The funnier part, Shannon Moore completely fucks them over in like a month. So it's like not only did you not need him, he also then fucked you over. <laughs> but let's bring him back in four years. Yeah. But yeah, you do begin to see it's just like it's the, the company of AJ is is slipping. Not that it was always the company of AJ. But they are a little too much being like, well, who can we bring in? What's the next, like, short-term pop? As opposed to, like, we have the pieces here. Let's just start putting them together. The company of Hangman is slipping. And some might say TNA need to restore the feeling. Yes. We're not quite there yet. I saw they tried to trademark recently, which I kind of hate, but... The feeling must be trademarked and copyrighted. Yeah, it was the same when they did it with Forbidden Door. It's just like, that was one Tanahashi came you didn't even You didn't even start it. That was Tana's phrase. Nobody else... The TNA was... president said that. Yeah. TNA president. The New Japan president <laughs> said that. But it's, it's one of those things where it's just like, it's just co-opting fan culture, and I never really liked that. Yeah. But I suppose, like, when you're... You're trying to, like, when you're a new brand and you have something that has caught on at least a little bit, you're like, let's name something after it because it's better than something that has no background towards it, I guess. World's End. Which everyone loves and is associated so positively with, so. I'm still mad there's no apostrophe in World's End. Well, the world... Hmm. Because regardless of whether you're talking about a physical place at the end of the world or the Mm. actual end of the world, there should be an apostrophe there. The only way there shouldn't be an apostrophe there if you're talking about the end of all worlds. Maybe that's what they're referring to. So the world's end is like the the literal end of everything. (laughs) Maybe that's what they're referring to. Maybe that's what they're referring to. There should still probably be an apostrophe there. I hope January's world's beginning. Some follow-up notes from Turning Point. AJ Styles suffered a severely torn lip during his match against Samoa Joe at Turning Point. I didn't even notice it. (laughs) The injury added dramatic bleeding to the match, but Styles paid the price when he had to have stitches to sew up the injury. Styles worked TV where he did the tag match against AMW at Daniels, uh, but he he did have to pull out of a Ring of Honor day just to be sure. Uh, Also, James Storm suffered a next digger fall Following an errant death sentence by the Dudleys, Storm temporarily lost feeling in parts of his body, but was able to walk mm. out of the ring under his own power. Which was, must be absolutely terrifying, by the way. Wrestling's dangerous, guys. Yeah, to have that moment after you take a move and be like, oh no, I can't move, or I don't feel anything. Yeah. And for it to pass, and you'd be like, oh, thank God, I'm fine. But, like, that moment must be absolutely fucking terrifying. Um, yeah. Storm was able to recover in time to do the TV taping as well to work the, the style of Daniels match. Get back out there! <laughs> TNA's Turning Point pay-per-view uh, looks to have done 35,000 buys based on early estimates. As figured here, it was up a, about 80% from the disappointing number pulled by Genesis and will end up about the same level as Bound for Glory. Uh, they still aren't showing growth from the first months on FSN, but they are showing growth from the summer. And Turning Point was a better card than Genesis, so I think that makes some sense. Yeah, people prefer to watch good shows. I know, it's a shocker. I'm shocked by it. 
Uh, one of those, let's see how long this one lasts. Overall, most everyone raves about the locker room atmosphere in TNA compared to recent years in WWE or the final years of WCW. Dixie Carter is well liked because she oh. gives positive <coughs> feedback to the wrestlers from top to bottom of the card. <laughs> Ah, that's a TNA wrestler. It's quoting. Uh, we feel appreciated, says one TNA wrestler. You just don't get that feeling in other places. The downside is that wrestlers feel frustrated with everyone fitting into slots and there being no real sense of upward mobility for them or decreased push for Jeff Jarrett, no matter what the TV <laughs> ratings, crowd response, or performance quality. Yeah. There are also some who believe there is arrogance from those who have been in WWE before, which divides the locker room at times. It's insane. I mean, like, I guess this is just a byproduct of there being one game in town Mm. forever. That's like, this is a thing that is still happening in 2023. Yeah, the number of talking points we've hit on on this just random episode, uh, a random month of TNA from January 2006 that still directly applied to the way people talk about AEW or the way people in AEW talk about AEW is just uh, almost uncanny. Well, that's the thing is like we we there's a lot of like obvious negatives to one company ruling all mm. that like you can see and you feel every time you look at something in wrestling. But you have to think it like there's there's gonna be these offshoot things that come from that as well. These offshoot negatives that come from that as well that you don't notice unless these specific circumstances happen. And how often do you get a major second promotion popping up? Right, like one every decade and a half at this point. So it's like, of course we don't see the correlation between that because there hasn't been that many instances of that. Mm. And there is always going to be the like the people who are there at the start of the company who like got it off the ground and then the people who jump on board when it's successful and the conflict that will exist between those groups and like the cultural fit between those groups and maybe the thing that TNA was is not the thing that TNA is. So some of the people that were there when TNA was feel out of place and the people who came there when it's successful are like, well... What, what am I meant to do? <laughs> like, the, the lesson to be learned from these two instances, I think, is you have to remain loyal to the people that got you there. Well, like, like the, I think it's just find the right balance. I'm not saying never bring anyone in. I'm saying be sparing and make sure that they are contributing to the existing culture. Yeah, it is. Think about the cultural fit and then be like, do we need Shannon more? And and that and part of that may be turning down people that you think might be good for you because they will upset the environment. Mm. And it's not like a problem yet in current TNA where I think the current TNA roster is probably still closer to being too small than too big. Yeah, there's a handful. As, uh, when I say current TNA, I mean 2005. Uh, but as opposed to AEW where it's <laughs> yeah, like... Yeah, you're going to have to specify now. <laughs> I know. It was so much easier when it was Impact. But as opposed to AEW where like the roster size probably got to the point of being too big in like 2021. Mm-hmm. And everyone you added to after that, it's like that's just more mouths to feed with. Even with more TV time, it's just you still have so many mouths to feed that you you don't have enough to go around. And all wrestlers ultimately want to do it was the exact same thing that happened in like 2018 WWE when they hired everybody on Earth and did not have something for everybody on Earth to do. And then loads of people got really frustrated and upset and weren't happy at work because wrestlers want to wrestle. Wrestlers really enjoy wrestling. It's not like the 90s where like there's guys who would take a six-figure paycheck from WCW and be like. I am happy cashing this as long as they're willing to give it to me. <laughs> yeah, there's there's not many people who will take a job and just be like happy and want to be team players. Like you get them, mm. um, but there's not many, especially stars or people who think they're stars, 
that will have that attitude. Most of the time, people that have that attitude, you don't want to pick up because they don't have much value. Yeah, and I remember like Mike Bennett. I remember interviews after he left WWE where he was like, he wasn't like, I want to be pushed. I want to be a star. I want to be this. I want to be that. He was just like, I just want to wrestle. I, I just I just want to actually be on TV and wrestle. And like that that's not like this extreme demand from a dude. He just wants to like work a place and work. And there's a, I think a lot of wrestlers are like that where they just want to do a thing and be happy with the thing they're doing. You're always going to be like a little more... If I, if I were running a company that's like at the level of a TNA now or a AEW now, I would be like, there's a difference between asking for your release and getting fired. Because mm. asking for your release shows intent. And like, uh, obviously, I don't think you should write off just anyone who got fired, that you should weigh up the pros and the cons. But it's like, if like you know that there's an attitude of... I want to do this from the people who were like not happy with never being on TV. Uh, speaking of not being not happy, Jeff Hardy no showed the Turning Point pay per view, but he communicated to management he was willing to work TV on Tuesday if they wanted him. I, that's that's dope to be honest. To be like, I'm not coming to work, but like I'll come on Monday if you want me. Yeah, it's like doing this pre-show multi-man tag. Fuck off. But you need me if you need me at TV, I'll go. Which is like, like fuck you. Uh, he is Jeff Hardy, though, so he can do that. Well, he can't. <laughs> he can't, no, because management are like, nah. There is the belief that he's uh, heading back to WWE, which he ultimately I does. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> it is funny, PW, uh, PW Torture, like, there is no indications that is the case, and then it happens a few months later. As he's about to go have the strongest run of his career, mm. as the biggest star of his career. But yeah, the TNA are showing less than no interest in him at the moment. Uh, Jeff Jarrett is claiming to people that he liked Frank Dickerson and went to bat for him when word came down <laughs> that he was being removed from his position in TNA. Others have said Jarrett was the one who got Dickerson axed because Dickerson didn't step in line with everything Jarrett said. God, I love this Connie son of a bitch so much. <laughs> Which critics of Jarrett would say is always designed to protect his position as a main eventer. All sources say Dickerson was well-liked and respected and is already missed. So it is the classic thing of a guy got fired and everyone liked the guy and Jeff was like, I did everything I could for him. I love Frank Dickerson. <laughs> Hey, Vince McMahon was always really nice to me, and he always really <laughs> liked the story pitches I gave him. Do people, how do people fall for this? <laughs> like, come oh. on! Jerry Jarrett hasn't been seen at a TNA event since his WWE headquarters visit. He is back working full-time on his construction business. Yeah, good on him. That was after he brought uh, young Oleg Prudius, <laughs> current TNA wrestler, <laughs> to WWE to you try know, and pitch the, the fulfillment of it all, you know? It is very funny. Like, I, I, don't, I think it's lost on people how, like, weirdly mean meaningful it is for Vlad Kozlov to be in TNA. It's like this weird full circle moment. It was not lost on us. I'll tell you that mm. for sure. A man we haven't spoken of in a little while. Vince Russo! Can I read the Vince Russo story? Sure. Vince Russo, in an interview last week with Gerwick Hotline, said that he will never go back to WWE or TNA. Mm -hmm. He said he feels that the state of wrestling isn't just declining, but wrestling's dead. And that his new wrestling promotion... Great time to start a new wrestling promotion, you know, when you think wrestling's dead. Mm -hmm. And that his new promotion, Ring of Glory... Mm -hmm. Is designed so wrestlers have a place to work and know that they are not only that they are not only that they are not getting screwed over by management. His goal is to only glorify God, not to put inflated egos over. At ROG's next upcoming show, they will be honoring Ron Simmons for his contribution to the wrestling industry. The events will, he will showcase in Rome, Georgia. Georgia. In Rome, Georgia will be made available on DVD in the near future. We need to find those. 
<laughs> he is also interested in setting up a support system where wrestlers can learn the ropes about pro wrestling and receive help managing their money, <laughs> looking after their futures, and other services that Russo feels are lacking for the wrestlers in the wrestling world. In Ring of Glory, you can have good heart, have a good heart and exist in the wrestling business, he says. Fuck off. I hate this prick so much. <laughs> <laughs> One, the, I'll never go back. I'll never work anywhere. I'm done with wrestling. I'll never cost them their Spike TV deal. <laughs> I'll never go back three separate times, you piece of shit. Who would jump at the opportunity to go back now to either company? This is the same, again, it's the same bullshit Eric Bischoff does, you know? Yeah. None of this is new. It's the same, like, oh, they don't get it anymore. They don't understand wrestling. I'm the one that understands wrestling. And then Vince Russo has the look at my Jesus promotion part of it as well, which would be funny if Eric Bischoff had. But If anyone has those <laughs> uploaded somewhere, because I will mm. not pay for them, um, <laughs> please let us know, because that's prime Patreon watch-along content. That is uh, Liam's Christmas present he would like. Well, if there's any other way to celebrate, you know, the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, it's with some ring of glory. It's a good point. We can glorify God. We can glorify God and not put inflated egos over. God knows we have inflated egos enough. Yeah, exactly. But at least we're not self-righteous enough to not admit it. We do a podcast. It's inherently inflating egos. Samoa Joe is said to be unhappy with the rumored contract Sting has received. Around a half a million dollars for a year. While wrestlers with previous national TV experience, especially WWE main events, have consistently been paid more than others, the discrepancy is greater than ever. Kevin Nash is, uh, was earning around five grand per appearance, Waltman around two grand per appearance, whereas Joe is paid well under one grand per appearance. And my boy's asking for a raise. Oh yeah. I don't get the sense that he is like, why am I not on Sting money? No, he's, why am I not on better money? Yeah, he is simply saying, I see the money you have for Sting. I would like more, please. Considering every single person who talks about this promotion who has never seen it, all these XWE guys coming in all go, this Samoa Joe guy. Mm. It doesn't hurt his bargaining power that he is well known and liked by WWE road agent Ricky Steamboat as well as McFoley. He also made other contacts in the promotion and now key people in WWE management have taken note of his reputation. TNA has pushed him as undefeated and WWE would gladly steal him for both the message it would send to fans and the blow it would be to TNA. Joe has signed to a contract so there's no risk of him actually leaving early. But he is, he's like, I want some money guys, pay me some more money. Look at all this money you got for Sting. Why don't you get a little money for Samoa Joe? Come on. Uh, the TNA pay, case, pay scale has been influenced by Jeff Jarrett over the past few years. It was in his best interest to continue to back the philosophy that WWE and WCW TV experience has a native value worth paying a premium for. Because that's him! Um, <laughs> when you actually do like a value-added thing for it, it's like Jeff Jarrett, you're like, well, but it's like, oh, look at my experience. And I go, all right. What are you doing over there? Crunching numbers? You're fired. I always like that guy, though. Mm. He has often spoken out on behalf of former WWE and WCW wrestlers wanting higher than the usual TNA scale of 500 to 750 for per TV appearance. Um, so Joe wants to get paid. All power to him. Speaking of Joe, he has sprained his ankle on an IWA Mid-South show that hampered his holidays. He told the TNAWrestling.com podcast. Oh my god. 
That should be it's us. Five. <laughs> uh, I got a little bit of a banged up ankle, so I spent most of the holidays with my leg in a nice bucket trying to rehab injuries. It was just a sprain, but a little bit more, the kind of stuff that will ruin your day. Aww. So that's one of one of the uh, things to keep in mind when you watch the Final Resolution 2006 match that Joe recently sprained his ankle. So he's, he's not at 100%. And dislocating his jaw. <laughs> yeah, it's not a fun time for some old Joe. No wonder he faked that back injury. <laughs> TNA has given me a venue to wrestle and do my thing in the ring and that's all I ever asked for Zero said mm-hmm. TNA has definitely given me that opportunity it is funny it's like he's out in the media it's like TNA is so great they're the best I love TNA I would like to be paid more please <laughs> there's some more quotes from Joe here the people reading the, the notes if they'd like um, mostly talking about how working with Liger was cool I'm shocked to think that uh, Joe would think that Mm. And on the back of Tanahashi coming into face AJ at Final Resolution, he would like to wrestle Yuji Nagata or Shinsuke Nakamura. I would also like to see that. Mm. And the Observer then had a follow-up from the, on that. The situation with Samojo is that as of last word we had gotten, no new deal had been reached between the, the two sides, but Joe and TNA management were going on the impression that they would be reaching a new deal, and nobody is panicking with the idea that Joe would be leaving. And Joe has also denied interest in leaving. When does he leave? Uh, January 2015. What was the circumstance around that? It was just, I now have an NXT shot. I think a little bit of the same money isn't going around anymore. Mm -hmm. And as you said, a little bit of suddenly I'm employable elsewhere in a way that for a very long time I wasn't in WWE for dopey reasons. And now he'll be the world champion of the second biggest promotion in the world. He fucking better win that match. (laughs) It's going to be so mad if MGF wins that I put money on it, so I hope hope he does (laughs) (laughs) vested interest TNA announced its first house show set for March 17th in the Detroit, Michigan area the show is being held at the uh, 4500C CompuWare Sports Arena in Plymouth keep that in mind that's the venue that will ultimately be for Bound for Glory Uh, Jarrett versus Rhino Joe versus AJ Sabin versus Monty and uh, Sabu versus Abyss have all been announced for the show tickets there at 10 bucks You you gotta get some Detroit faves in big positions there Mm. Yeah, I guess that's why Saban versus Monty is uh, two Detroit guys facing off. Also Rhino. Mm. And Sabu. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, TNA are getting out there, trying to sell some tickets. Uh, they also do a bunch of shows with Hermie Sadler's company. We might watch some of them. I don't know. Maybe not. But <laughs> they are just uh, uh, house shows that have TNA talent that are co-promoted with Hermie Sadler's UFW? UWF? Whatever Hermie Sadler called his company. Cool. Your famous love of Hermie Sadler. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Uh, a resurgence of a story from what I want to say early 2004 the next bit of unhappiness among talent may be the company wanting to redo contracts that give the company control over independent dates the wrestlers work right now the first step is trying to have the wrestlers having to clear their indie dates through the office which is fair enough yeah just so so you don't have conflicts with existing tna dates but now increasingly wanting to control and once again take a cut of indie dates is another thing that's on the table that's the most bullshit shit i've ever seen yeah, it's it's either you pay them to be full time and then you put the you send them out, or you don't take their money and you allow the work indie dates to subsidize their perhaps lower income from working for TNA. You can't have it both ways. No, because one thing if they were like, we are going to sign you to a bigger contract, but then we are going to basically sublet you out to indies and take a large cut of that. That would be like fair enough. <laughs> Makes sense. But no, being like, we would like to sign you to a lower contract and then also take a cut of the indie dates you do take to, to increase your income. Fuck off. Yeah, fuck off tremendously. There is some political reasons why they want to at least control bookings a little more in that like TNA has a deal with New Japan, but Team 3D are working with All Japan and Big Mouth Loud. AJ's working deals. 
Shout out to Big Mouth Loud, by the way, my favorite promotion ever. R.I.P. Dutch Mantel booked James Storm to work Puerto Rico for the WWC, which is like the, the loose company they're working with. But then Ron Killings and Conan booked themselves for the IWA and caused more political problems. So there is some reasons they're trying to lean on it, but they're taking the cut of the revenue. is fucking bullshit. They could also probably get away with like that if they were just like, you get to keep your money. <laughs> mm. A clarification on the baseball angle, uh, base brawl, sorry Dave, it's not a baseball angle, it's a brace brawl angle from the last pay-per-view show. While the idea was for Team Canada to work, uh, rather than Diamonds in the Rough, to work the baseball players, it didn't happen because Team Canada was doing the trio K story, not because they turned it down. Should have been hockey versus baseball. It should have been hockey versus baseball. They should have given Diamonds in the Rough to trio K. Mm-hmm. They did get it the wrong way around. Spike TV this week finalized its decision to not put a major show on February 13th when Raw is preempted due to the Westminster Dog Show. According to sources, Spike had pressured TNA into signing one more marquee superstar who would debut on the show besides Sting before they would approve the special and TNA failed to do so. It's hard to figure out what they were expecting because the only person available who would who would have fit their criteria was The Rock. And while we do know he's had communication with Jeff Jarrett at the Video Game Awards, mm-hmm. it's more along the lines of wanting his advice on the product. There's a very funny video on this month's TNA where they're recapping the Game Awards and they have AJ Styles standing next to Donald Faison. Of course. <laughs> the best combination you'll ever see in your life. They should put uh, AJ in scrubs. And then they show The Rock coming out to present an award and they're like, you'll never guess who Jeff Jarrett ran into backstage. And then they show a little, like, three seconds of The Rock and there you are. That is The Rock's only appearance in TNA until the 2020 Bound for Glory Hall of Fame ceremony for Ken Shamrock. I'm sorry, I got distracted by a very important article. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh. Have you been Googling the Westminster Dog Show again? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, in There's a where are they now? <laughs> for the dogs? <laughs> oh, it's for the people. Boo. Boo. <laughs> I don't give a fuck about the people. I want to be like, uh, a spot now chases things in retirement. He's having a grand old time. What the fuck? This is bullshit. I wanted to see where the dogs were now. <laughs> there's hidden gems? Who are the hidden gems dogs? Yeah, the ones that flew under the radar, that didn't get the, the, the attention and justice they deserve. The Tibetan Spaniel mm. is an underrated dog, apparently. Good for them. Anyway, uh, May 13th, 14th, look forward to our coverage. Yeah, only five months away from the Westminster Dog Show. Of the 2024 Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show. It is interesting that while Dave is talking about that apparently Spike wanted to sign one more big star, he says he doesn't believe Spike would have thought Brock Lesnar was a big enough name. Mm. And it's really interesting to me that like post-original WWE run, pre-UFC Brock Lesnar, Dave is like, "Eh, that guy's not really a big enough name to bring in to really satisfy your TV deal. God, 2005 Brock Lesnar. (laughs) Yeah, drop him in there with AJ. Fuck, Brock and AJ would have rocked back then. Yeah. I mean, they rocked when they had their match anyway. Yeah. <laughs> the move is the first real sign, the move being Spike not putting the show on February 13th, is the first real sign of a lack of full faith in TNA, in particular its star power, because for months everything had pointed to 213 as TNA's golden opportunity to reach new viewers, or 13-2 if you're in Europe. It's believed Spike's decision that was that it didn't believe TNA was ready for a Monday night special, which, like, I I am so thoroughly against uh, the any idea 
and even inclination to do another Monday Night War, it does seem like a real layup to just put something TNA on that Monday night, you know? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't get why you wouldn't do it. Like, you have a clear Monday night when, in theory, viewers would be watching Raw. Suddenly, Raw's not on that night. Why don't you just put something there, you know? It's, it just, yeah, like, it's because it's not directly competing, you know? Even with absolutely no intention to follow it up with a Monday Night War, at least put something there to try and steal some of WWE's audience. Yeah. I mean, there's no negatives, it feels. I guess it doesn't really make a lot. I I don't see it. And especially with the idea of they're not ready when they've already done similar things. Mm. I don't know. Maybe Spike were like, if we do a Monday special, people will actually think we are going to go to war. Yeah. And we don't want to do that. Uh, TNA had expected to get a special that night and had not been told it wasn't happening. But over the past week, most read the writing on the wall that they, that since they weren't told it was, the time was running out and it wasn't going to happen. Dave also follows up with a cryptic note that I've, I've no idea what he's talking about because I don't think it actually leads to anything. But there are talks going on right now with two wrestlers who I could consider bigger stars than Sting. The deal opened a lot of eyes, including some top-of-the-line WWE folk. However, I don't see anyone else getting anywhere near the deal that Sting got, I assume. Chris Jericho, who has always been negative about going when asked by TNA officials, did remark recently he'd be very interested if he could get Sting money, but it doesn't look like anyone else is going to be getting that deal. Like, who could... Like, the only person he could be talking about is The Rock. I don't know. Brock? (laughs) After he just said... Like, Goldberg's gone from WWE at this point, so maybe Bill? And, like, they bring in Scott Steiner in March, but you wouldn't be like, Scott Steiner, bigger star than Sting. No. Unless it's someone whose deal was coming up at the time? Yeah, maybe somebody was going to jump. You never know. But, yeah, it's a weird one to think about. Like, who could Dave be talking about? Dave, who are your... Name names! Send him a message in the mailbag. Hello, Dave. Uh, in early January 2006, you were talking about these big names that might be jumping to TNA but didn't. Who were they? And then he'll be like, Shinsuke Nakamura. <laughs> what? Uh, TNA original Toby Keith was at the January 3rd tapings, but was never announced because Keith, who was in the front row with his sons, asked not to be put on television in order to keep uh, the privacy of his family. When asked if they could show him being on camera there without showing his kids, he also said no. Nice of TNA to respect the people in their audience and not show them without their consent or knowledge. (laughs) They they will stick around forever. They would never, sir. No. Uh, people say he got fired because of that and he didn't he got fired six months later but it's funnier like he got fired because no one gave a shit about the Highlanders that was just a funny thing that happened I can't they didn't bring him in <laughs> that was very rude of them did not even give the lad a booking they've done a whole bit about it hell may have froze over since there is a possibility of Loki coming back to TNA which is something that some thought impossible uh, well I would like Loki back uh, keep that in mind for Senshi. April. You don't get him back till April, but Loki is on his way back. He's Loki on his way back. Ah, I see what you did there. It's a joke that no one's ever made before. No, he's cavalling to TNA. I've got a six Senshi about these things. <laughs> <laughs> That's the news.
That brings us to broad topics, starting with the final resolution 2006 main event, which was Sting and Christian Cage facing the King of the Mountain, Jeff Jarrett, and the alpha male, Monty Brown. Yeah, nothing like a pay-per-view main event tag. I kind of like a pay-per-view main event tag. It has to be the, like, the debut of Sting, you can get away with doing a pay-per-view main event tag. Hmm. But, like, you can't just do it. If if this was, like, Christian and Rhino against Jarrett and Monty, nah, terrible, you can't do it. Yeah. But because it's Sting, it is Sting. They get a pass. You are a debut while returning Sting. We're pretending debuting. Yeah, it was funny. We mentioned this on the watch along at one point, but there's a video package on the pay-per-view where they show Sting's 2003 stuff. And like, they did not do that at all in the build-up because they're like, it's a debut. It's Sting. Sting is coming. And when, when they get to the pay-per-view, they'll be like, ah, we can admit he was here before. Now you bought the pay-per-view. <laughs> you fools. They should know that no one watched that era anyway. Mm. So the December 17th Impact opens with a recap of what happened at Turning Point. As you remember, after Jarrett beat Rhino in the main event, there was that tease. The, the JPEGs appeared and Sting's uh, was <laughs> just the bat and the boots or something appeared on a chair in the middle of the ring and they looked shocked and flabbergasted in kayfabe did sting put them there that's a good question did he like lower them slowly down from the rafters balancing them precariously on a steel chair yeah he had that's a lot to get done with the lights going out for like three seconds as well that's quite impressive a sting Mm. or did he just like hire a guy just to sneak into the ring yeah he hired christian cage to do it he's like we're gonna team up so, can you just do this for me, please? Yeah, we need you to slip out there. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting dilemma that we've come across. So, Jared kicks off this episode of Impact. He runs out to the ring. He Well, not to the ring, to the announce desk. Because who does he ask when he needs to find something out, Liam? It's always Mike Tanay. I unironically think that this might be the best thing that Jeff Jarrett does. Just anytime he needs to know something. He doesn't go to the director of authority, Larry Zabisco. Or the head of TNA management. I don't think he's technically DOA. But he doesn't go to Larry Z. He goes to Mike. Because he's like, Mike, you're in the know. Everybody always tells you everything. You're the interrogator or whatever that segment was called. You should know all of these things. Exactly. I don't know. He just, I think him and Mike tonight have such good like chemistry together. Mm. Tanae is like, I don't know. I know what you know. I always know what you know. Why are you shouting at me? It's good stuff. Uh, a reoccurring trend in Jeff Jarrett's segments this month that we'll talk about a lot. The crowd are chanting boring at him as he does his promo. He just, like, ignores him. <laughs> yeah, and, like, these people are so over this dude as champion. He's just, like, and he does the same thing, because it's always, like, TNA management, you want to bring in Sting? You, if you want a war, you got a war. Conspiracy theory, take our spots. It's that same promo. He's been doing it for six months. He does it four times this month. Six months? <laughs> He's been doing it for four years. Yeah, and it's like, it's not even the case that you can be like, they're bored of him as champion, because, well, they are, but it's it's increasingly they're bored of him being the exact same person as champion every week. I think it is bored of him. Yeah, I think he's bored of him. But like, I don't, there can't be anything, he must be like, running purely on paranoia at this point. Mm. Like, they, like, he can't be getting any sort of creative fulfillment from this role. Yeah, I, I, that's the whole thing in the summer where, like, he was worried about his position of power in the company, and that's the reason he wanted to keep the belt, and he didn't want to drop the AJ, and he was like, what if we drop the Monty this time? So, like, I, I do think him being champion is just entirely about his political position in the company. Yeah, I don't know, like, it, yeah, it, it truly just has to be a running on fear, <laughs> the great motivator. So we got a little tease at the end of this segment that you would think is a thing they should have followed through on to the end, but I guess they kind of didn't. But as Jared is leaving, 
After shouting at Mike Tanay, Samoa Joe enters for the opening match. They walk out, they meet eyes, they stare down, Jarrett kind of nervously eyes his own title as he looks in the eyes of Samoa Joe, and Joe goes on to do his match against Jay Lethal that we'll talk about when we get the exhibition stuff. But it's interesting that like here they're they're teasing Samoa Joe, perhaps eyeing up more than the exhibition title. It was it was honestly like very well done. For like you know, it's a little small segment, it's hard to fuck up, but I I remember like even when I was watching it, I like stood up in my chair a little bit, you know what I mean? I was like, ooh. Yeah, it's the classic like Paul Heyman segments bleeding into each other kind of thing, where it's like Joe's coming out for the match as Jared is leaving. Uh, to, then then to, to set up that tease, which is, is probably what they should have followed through on. Like, they ultimately pivot to Sting, which is understandable that Sting is the guy to kind of end Jared for good, but it should have been Joe. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe they... I, I, but I do find it hard to believe that they were like, even in this moment, like, Joe's going to be the guy. Yeah, uh, they were probably just like, let's do a little thing. Let's lay a little seed. If not uh, for anything else, then to suggest that Joe is, is, is like, destined for bigger and better things. Yeah, like, it feels like you're putting him on a level. At least, yeah. even if you're not going to follow through with a program. Yeah, you're, you're just saying Joe is looking at that belt and he will be looking at that belt in the future. Also, it, it does put over Joe because it's like the world champion is fearful of this guy. Rightfully so. And it's like, I don't know, it's like weirdly uh, gracious of a Jeff Jarrett to do. <laughs> I was literally just thinking that, that, that was like, how did Jarrett not politic his way out of this segment? I don't, yeah, I don't know. Ah, uh, you know, we shouldn't be putting the X Division guy out there with the heavyweight guy. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be putting them on the same page. You know, it's a it's bad book and it makes me look bad. My guess is maybe like he knows he's not actually doing a program, mm. so he's like, I'm not actually gonna have to put this guy over. There is no actual fear of him having to wrestle. Well, he does wrestle him by September, but in the immediate future, there is no fear of him having to wrestle Samoa Joe. Yeah. We had a couple of promos in that show because Jarrett's out again for the main event, but we get a couple of promos backstage. Franchise has Jarrett. He's talking about how he has to go to war and AMW will be by his side and he's recruiting again. Gail walks in. She's mad about the Jackie Gata stuff and Jarrett's like, it's not what it seems. Gail pushes Jarrett away and he gets mad. Because he's like, uh, uh, the, the, the tone of the Jarrett and Gail segments for this entire month are all like listen woman you shouldn't be mad at me and she's like woman yeah i don't get what the implication is about their relationship gail and jared or jackie and jared gail and jared yeah because like the way they frame it like it comes across as like weirdly personal Mm. when like it feels like their on-screen relationship has always been one of, like, a professional relationship. Yeah, because, like, the story is, and I think they explain it this month before we get into it, but that, like, Jackie Gata was promised a spot in TNA and Gail Kim was brought in instead. So the the Planet Jarrett spot was promised, quote-unquote, to Jackie Gata and they brought Gail in instead and she's showing up to get what's hers. Like, that's that's the story they're telling. But as, as you said, it, 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 it there's a weird tension there that feels deeper than the manager of Planet Jared. Yeah, like I don't know. Like it, it, it comes across as weird, and then like ultimately, it doesn't really feel like it goes anywhere. Mm. <laughs> like the the whole thing with Jared eventually just kind of transitions to Demore. Yeah. So it's like I think they like maybe started this with an idea, and then very quickly decided not to go in that direction. Because mm. later in the show again, he's Jared is recruiting diamonds in the rough. They're with him, but Jared really wants Monty. He's like, "Where's Monty? I don't care about like. It's nice to have you, Simon, but Mon- Monty's the guy I want around here." <laughs> uh, Gail Gail confronts him again, and Jared is like, "I don't have time for this." <laughs> and then it's like you don't have three minutes to like tell her something. 
mm. in the time where you're not finding Monty Brown. And then again later in the show, Jared and Team Canada are backstage. Scott has talked to Monty and told him Jared wants to talk to him. Monty didn't seem happy about that, naturally, based on their entire <laughs> relationship together. Um, Jared then asks Gail what's wrong. And she's like, not like you care. And she's petulantly painting her nails. <laughs> Cool. They also, this is the show where they air the Spike VGA's recap where um, AJ Styles is with Donald Faison and Mike Denae's like, you'll never believe who Jeff Jarrett bumped into. Uh, it was Dwayne. It's so funny that there's like no follow-up on that. I get it's like, it's a push to the VGA's, but there's not like, you would have thought they would have tried in everything in their power to shoot like a 20 second video with The Rock. <laughs> They probably did try. He probably told him to fuck off. Yeah, that's probably true. He's like, uh, you know, I can't do that. You know why I can't do that. But listen, I, I like what you guys are doing. You guys are doing great. Come on, Jeff. He was very, probably very nice and very diplomatic about the, uh, that, but like very sternly, no. He's like, I'll see you in 18 years for Ken Shamrock's induction. <laughs> So main event segment, Planet Jarrett is in the ring. Jarrett runs down all the recent talent signings. They've signed 3D, they've signed Rhino, they've signed Christian, and now Sting is coming too. So everything he said about the the new talent coming to take people's spots has come to pass. He is right, it is true, and everyone should join his side. He demands and gets a declaration of loyalty from Team Canada, from AMW, and from Abyss, and that leaves the alpha male Monty Brown. Monty is happy with Jarrett's fashion choices, which I think is dubious. He compliments Jarrett. He looks like shit. Yes. He did not look good. This is the most out of character moment of Monty Brown. That's when you know he's turning heel. Complimenting Jeff Jarrett's choice of clothes is... When he put over a shitty Jeff Jarrett fit. Mm, Which is all of them, frankly. Yeah, like, sometimes he has, like... But, like, like, this is nothing. This is, like, actively awful. Mm, um, So Monty is like, killer be killed, hunter be hunted. This is survival of the fittest. These are his three rules, which are, honestly, the same rule rephrased three different times. Yes. Monty should come up with more rules. Uh, He says he's all in. He shakes Jarrett's hand. Then the Scorpion JPEG appears on the screen as Christian, Rhino, and Team 3D stand atop the ramp. Presumably forming the JPEG Mafia. Very good. Thank you. That joke is written into the show notes. And if you heard Liam do a little sigh there, I think it's because he read ahead and saw it written into the show notes before I said it. Then I remembered that you said it on the watch along. <laughs> yeah. Workshop and material. Yeah, you, gotta, you gotta take the material around the country first before you film the special. Mm-hmm. It's very important. December 24th, Impact Christmas Eve. Santa Claus and his little helper come to the ring. <laughs> This is an incredibly horny segment. Mike Tanay, because Santa is played by Matt Bentley for some reason, and obviously the little helper is played by Tracy. I feel like the only reason Santa is played by Matt Bentley is so that the little helper can be played by Tracy. Yes. Mike and Don are losing their minds over Tracy wearing her, like, it's not the schoolgirl outfit she wears, it's she's wearing like a, a, a little helper outfit of some sort. It's like a Mrs. Claus thing. Yeah, like, they're literally like cartoon coyote, like... Awooga! Steam pouring out their ears, banging the table, with wolf whistling. <laughs> they are going mad over Tracy Brooks. And like, she, they're like, she brought the real gifts, implying her breasts. Her breasts are the real gifts, Liam. Oh. Yeah, like, I, <laughs> you ever like wonder, it's like, this is a work colleague. Mm. <laughs> Do you ever look at it through that lens? Yeah. Like, I know they're filming a television show, but like, this is your colleague. <laughs> That you have to go out the back and, like, eat catering with. 
And you're like, oh, sorry about being like a wooga about you on TV, but you know how it is. And like, I mean, like, I'm sure Tracy doesn't care at this point, but it's like, it's just like, it's not, I'm not, I'm not even like tut-tutting it. I just, I think it's, it's just a funny thing to think about. Mm. So Kristen Cage interrupts Santa Claus and he's like, I hope you got me all my presents, Santa Claus. He gets some white pants, just like Jeff Jarrett. He then spends a bizarrely long time uh, getting those pants on because they are very tight. And as he's pulling them up, he leans down and he is at chest height with Tracy Brooks and stares at her boobs. Hell yeah, that's my baby face, baby. <laughs> Kristen also has a don't piss me off Jeff Jarrett shirt, the wig and the Jeff Jarrett <laughs> The WWE logo on the back. It is It is a WWE licensed merchandise, don't piss me off t-shirt. They didn't even like cover up the, the logo. Presumably from Jeff Jarrett's personal collection of his own t-shirts. Well, they weren't selling it on WWEshop.com. The crowd chant double C as he is in full Jeff Jarrett outfit. Uh, Bentley Santa has things to do, which prompts a stuffer stocking chant from the crowd. Oh, that's creative, at least. Before uh, giving Christian a tiny guitar. Which is the technical term for the instrument, I'm sure. A, a guitar seat, though? Ooh, that's cool. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, Jarrett, Monty come out, brawl. Christian does a little strut and bails before, once again, JPEGs appear. Da, 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 da. It's so funny that they're just like a slideshow. <laughs> it is just just like three different Scorpion JPEGs and they go, ooh, and they spin. <laughs> you, couldn't fi- you couldn't find like a B-roll of a Scorpion? <laughs> Or, like, they do shoot some B-roll of Sting for later in the month. So they do have some Sting footage on, like, the last two impacts. Well, I get not wanting to actually show Sting, like, if that's the Mm -hmm. bit. But, like, you can't just, like, get some B-roll of a scorpion running across the ground? Go to the local pet shop and actually get a a scorpion? Yeah, you're in Florida. (laughs) I'm sure you can rent a scorpion. Put a scorpion on, like, the top of the ramp and zoom in on a live scorpion? That'd be sick. And it's just, like, in a small little, like, case. Not even in a case, it's just Roman. Has Sting ever used a live scorpion? He's used a live crow once. Yeah, I'd say he's not opposed to the use of live animals. He's a fan of live birds more than live scorpion. Doesn't make sense. I guess birds are scarier than scorpions. Well, like, was it a, it's a crow, I guess. Like, if, if you don't see the scorpion coming, the scorpion is scarier, because it can sneak up on you and, like, bite you and sting you stuff. What's the biggest scorpion? But, like... If you do see a scorpion coming, it's quite small. You can run away from it quite easily. Nine inches. Still quite small. You could do like a Jake the Snake thing. It's big enough that if you saw it, you'd freak out. But it's not big enough that uh, like if you saw it, you'd be like, I'm trapped. Yeah, but like, I'm sure there's like, (laughs) that'd be a great segment. Especially in like the 2012 TNA era where it's like Mick Foley in his office and Sing just unleashes a garbage can full of scorpions (laughs) into the office. Yeah, yeah, you you raise a good point. It would have to be multiple scorpions. It couldn't just be the one. (laughs) And like Foley like jumps up on the desk. Uh, I did see, I saw a fucking humongous fox last night. Mm-hmm. I was walking up a hill and I just looked to my right and there was like the largest, beefiest fox I've ever seen. And he didn't run away. He just looked at me. And I was like, what? that seems like that could be very like powerful moment. Mm. And like there's tons of foxes in that area, but they're usually like quite small and they're quite skittish. And that boy mm. was fucking humongous. It looked like he ate two of the other foxes. Did you connect eyes and have a spiritual exchange? I was more like, look at the size of you. <laughs> You're so big. It could have been your spirit animal. You could have gone on a journey of self-discovery. Um, sure. But to go back to my scorpions versus birds point. Uh, birds course. birds are scarier because they can chase you. A scorpion could chase me. Not very fast. 
You don't know how fast I am, or how fast I am not? I think you're faster than a nine-inch scorpion. Alright, let's set it up. Foot race. <laughs> you versus scorpion. Yeah. Um, I think I could beat any scorpion in a fight. Yeah, but I think most humans could beat it. Uh, again, unless the scorpion had an element of stealth and could get you from behind, I think most humans could beat a scorpion in a fight. Whereas I would not fancy my chances against every bird. Okay, I'm, uh, here's my, my, my battlefield with you, right? Mm-hmm. It's you versus scorpion. Yeah. Largest scorpion possible. Nine inches. Two ounces. You're in a room that's about five by five meters. Mm. No door. Nothing else in there. And you don't have shoes. Ooh, that's interesting. I'd, I'd like backsplash it. <laughs> so, just take a big bump onto it? Yeah, big like the big Samoa Joe backsplash. I'm not sure that would kill it. It would certainly wound it. Yeah, but like I feel like you would land on it and it would sting you. I don't think it would be able to. I think I would crush it too much. No, I I, th- I don't think you would. But if you do the Samoa Joe where you bounce off pretty quick, you would do at least enough damage. To you that- think you can bounce off pretty quick? <laughs> Listen, Samoa Joe's a bigger man than I am. So if he can do it, I can do it. I don't know. I, I I think the only the only reason we think we have the advantage over such a large scorpion is due to the prevalence of shoes. And I think in a shoeless environment, we are we are on the back foot, so to speak. Mm. I wouldn't even take on, like, a two-inch spider without shoes. <laughs> I want to touch it. <laughs> is it literally just, like, the texture of the spider would freak you out? No, I don't like the idea of even touching it. Mm. I need a weapon. Like, <laughs> I need something to, to to use to my advantage. I can't have... I couldn't go... I couldn't, like, fist fight a spider. <laughs> no, you wouldn't have to. I, I would be fearful. You could just flick it. <laughs> I guess, but like, if it's like two inches, that's a big, you gotta put some force into that. And like, it'll be looking at you the whole time and you gotta like try and like, because you can't flick it in the face because then it could bite you. It does have many eyes. Exactly. So like, you have to catch it from the side and then like the whole time you're gonna be fearful that it's gonna like spring out. Mm. I'm just saying the logistics of fighting a, a scorpion or a spider are not as favorable as we may think without the prevalence of sh- feet protection. But do you think still think it's worse than a bird? Yeah. I'll punch a bird. Why would you punch a bird, but you'd freak uh, out about a spider? I, I, birds don't scare me. That's interesting. I, I like I like I'm assuming in my head it's a crow. Mm. Uh, crow, by the way, my favorite bird. So mm. I would feel devastated about having to be in this uh, environment. But you put me in a five by five room with a bird with a crow. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll fucking I'll throw hands. But a scorpion, nah. We got, like that's got too many defensive mechanisms. Birds have, like, beaks and wings. They'll freak yeah, out on you. Yeah, but I'm just you. gonna sock it in the face. Why can't you do that to the scorpion? Because the scorpion has armor. <laughs> and has a stinger that can catch me on the way through. Like, what? Okay, so what? Boom. The the, the bird pecks me, grabs on. Boom. Then it's, then it's trapped. Then I've got it trapped, and it's just bang, 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 bang. Like, that's easy. <laughs> what do you think happens with this? Do you think it goes for, like, four different, like... The, the, the precision stings it stings you once it hangs on and you can go bang 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 yeah it's but gone. then i'm dead they, then i'm paralyzed and dead scorpions are not one hit ko here i think they are i think anything that it has toxin is a one hit ko okay i would i would forever take the immediate pain mm-hmm. of a peck or a claw over the one to two day process of expelling toxin from from my body <laughs> Birds can give you disease too. Yeah, but it's dead. It's like, you know, I'll fucking left right good night, you know? <laughs> this is a fascinating exchange. 
It comes, it flies at me, boom, V trigger. Why can't you, why can't you use your knee on the scorpion? How am I going to knee a scorpion on the floor? You literally just drop one. Oh, and break my knee. What do you think you're doing? I'm not Togi Markabe here. (laughs) I don't have the King Kong knee drop. Oh dear. And again, I'm going down on the knee and it's just, it's getting me with a stinger. Mm. Ridiculous. I'll, I'll... I'll take on a bird any time over something small and venomous. The main event of the December 24th impact was Christian Cage against the Wildcat Chris Harris. Uh, under the assumption that I don't have uh, a shoe. Mm. Or then a if I have a shoe, I'm, I'm taking on an, a, an arachnid any day. Uh, Storm immediately tries to interfere but gets ejected. Gale's at ringside to help Harris though. Harris tries to use cuffs but Christian reverses into a DDT. Storm runs out, hits Christian with the tag title. Rudy finds the tag title but doesn't know what happened. Christian kicked out. Uh, Christian throws Harris into Storm's crotch, hits the unprettier for the win. Jarrett jumps Christian after the match. Christian looks the bail but Monty jumps him from behind. They destroy Christian and the JPEGs do absolutely nothing to help here. <laughs> Monty nearly pounces Christian into Gale. The Gale's standing in the corner and Monty pounces him and Gale has to literally leap out of the way of Christian Cage's body as he has pounced right at her. Awesome. Uh, and then Jared falls with a stroke on the title belt as they pose over Christian Cage's dead body. Yeah, like, do you think if in a post-match beatdown scenario, mm. if the JPEGs just started playing, they would stop? They would get very startled by the JPEGs as illustrated by past experience. Mm. That is wrestling logic. Every time those JPEGs appear, they are like, what the hell? Uh, New Year's Eve, December 31st impact. There is two impacts that day, as we talked about. There is the the regular impact in, uh, I think it's in primetime, so it was 8pm. And then later that night at midnight is the special primetime special. So they're teasing a big announcement throughout the show that there will be this huge announcement made at the primetime special. Um, But on the impact earlier that night, it is Monty Brown and Jeff Jarrett versus the tremendous team of Shark Boy and Kenny King. Alright, let's think of a pun. Shark King? I know, like, sharking was immediately, the, like, the thing. Mm. Like, like in poker, the sharking? Yeah. <laughs> well, that could be King Shark. King Shark. Do, 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 King Shark. Alright, you ready for this? Right. This is my pitch for their name. The Shark Boy who would be king. You know what? Perfect. Yep. Jackie Gator shouts at Jeff Jarrett during his entrance and then threw a slap, but missed. Uh, Sharky bites Jarrett in the ass. The crowd chants, Shark Boy's gonna kill you. <laughs> the crowd would probably be pretty happy if Shark Boy beat Jarrett for the belt. Uh, uh, wouldn't we all? Uh, pounce the king, stroke to Shark Boy as Jarrett and Monty win. Sting's music hits. The scorpion looms. It looms like it were in a 5 by 5 room with you and you weren't wearing <laughs> shoes. Investigative journalist Don West is like, I want to know what's the deal with this Jackie Gata nonsense. So he goes backstage and finds Jackie as she's been kicked out. Jackie denies it being a lover's quarrel and says that Jarrett didn't keep her word. Jackie explains the situation that she gave up a career to accept Jarrett's job offer, but then she saw Gail Kim showing up on TV instead. But she has a secret and demands Jarrett gives her the money he promised her or she will reveal his secret. And everyone is on the the edge of their seats waiting for this reveal. Mm. Main event of that episode of Impact is the Cowboy James Storm versus Jeff Jarrett. Uh, The important part for this story is uh, after the match, there's a bunch of run-ins and saves and stuff. And then Christian makes the ultimate save and then says, come back at midnight for our big announcement. We'll talk about the match itself when we're talking about the X division? (laughs) Or tag division. Uh, Which brings us... 
Yes. <laughs> Which brings us to the first episode of Impact of 2006. Literally, as the clock strikes midnight, Christian Cage counts us down. There's a fun note about this. The idea was Christian was supposed to do a 10 second promo and the clock would pretend there was 20 seconds left in the year. And he'd count down 10, 9, 8, so, uh, so on and so forth. Anyway, he forgot, he, he twice forgot his 10 second promo and started counting down anyway. And got to zero with 10 seconds left on the clock. This led to a loud, you fucked up chant. He made a remark, what do you want? I'm Canadian. Because apparently Canadians can't count to 10 on the new year. Well, they can count to 10, they can't count down from 10. That's true, and they can't leave a, a 10 second gap until they start counting. That's just too much information to process. Yeah. But we do get the, the groundbreaking announcement that Mike Tanae makes it official that Sting is the newest member of the TNA roster. And Christian's like, whoa, 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 Mike. I got some more news. And Mike's like, you one up in me? And I'm like, I'm one up in you. He announces that the main event of Final Resolution will be him and Sting versus Monty Brown and Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett comes out, crowd chant boring again as Jarrett does the same promo <laughs> over and over again. Like every time he comes out, the crowd chant boring. It's so funny. Uh, Christian challenged Jarrett to fight him there and then. Jarrett takes great offense to being called slap nuts, even though there's, there's literally a shirt. Uh, Monty runs out, Rhino makes the save, AMW runs out, 3D makes the save, brawl. Nice. Uh, what do we got here? Nothing, 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 nothing. <laughs> Me watching a TNA show. <laughs> the January 7th show ends with Jeff Jarrett doing his personal tribute to Sting. Because through this show, there's a bunch of video packages. I think there's Chris Saban, Sanjay Dodd, a couple others, uh, Christian as well, talking about like little talking head spots about what Sting means to them. Some of them said basically nothing. And the fans. And the fans. There was some fans that they loved the, the Scorpion Death Drop and the uh, Scorpion Death Lock and the Stinger Splash. They're all great moves, to be fair. Great move names as well. Yeah. Uh, but here, Jared is like, we've had all those tributes to Sting throughout the show. I have mine. This is some classic TNA comedy right here. Mm. Eric Young comes out as Surfer Sting. Uh, right. Chris Harris comes out as Crow Sting, which is actually fun because Harris actually played a fake Sting at Halloween Havoc 2000. Wow. Well, he looks the part. He does. You do look at it. It's like, that is that is a good Crow Sting. And I get why they used you as a fake Sting in WCW. And then he had Sting's actual music. <laughs> yeah, it is funny. Like, anytime there's a tease of Sting this month, they play the, the TNA Sting theme. You know, whenever the JPEGs appear, the TNA Sting theme appears. Can you please recreate it right now? I can't. It's a weird song. Come on, do it. <laughs> no. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm literally trying to like form the sounds in my head, and I can't. For some reason, I keep going back to Rhino song. Content for the people. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, 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 for some reason, I drift toward Rhino's theme. When you do it like that, it drifts towards Rhino. It upsets me. I know. So it's funny. Uh, there's a chicken in a chicken suit uh, playing a crow. Because mm-hmm. I guess they couldn't find a crow suit. Or maybe they're calling him a chicken. And Mike Tanay has to fill in that gap because one, he explains it's James Storm that's in the suit. And the other, he's like, a chicken. I guess that's meant to be a crow. (laughs) Uh, And then the highlight for me personally, we had Surfer Sting. We had Crow Sting. But Monty Brown comes out as real estate Steve. (laughs) Which is like, like it's something that we get with the context of having seen certain Alex Shelley promos and such. Mm -hmm. But it's like, like, how many people knew this? Yeah, he comes out like wearing a visor, wearing a polo shirt, wearing some uh, tight shorts. He's doing whiteface. 
<laughs> Listen, they're all doing sting face. Wow. Uh, he, he comes out with a, a buggy or a stroller if you're in in, in America. Uh, the or the idea that, that that do you call it a stroller there too? Yeah, eh, it's a buggy here. That's lame. Mm. That's so stupid. Oh, because stroller is such a wonderful. Yeah, word. stroller's awesome. Tell you what, I could kill a crow with a stroller. Could you kill a scorpion with one though? Yes, any weapon. Give me any weapon. What if you had like a pencil? You know, I'd feel more confident. Mm. Yeah, because then I could like pin down the tail and punch it to death. Okay, <laughs> you couldn't do that with your fingers. No, because then my fingers are in striking distance. They're still in striking distance, even if you have a pencil. <laughs> or I could get it to like get its claws on the pencil, and like then it's distracted. So the idea is Monty is <laughs> domesticated. Sting. I'm, I'm not gonna beat any animals to death. I feel like I should clarify. I never would. I love animals too much. If anyone would do it, it's Garrett, because he has a callous relationship with animals. They're evil monsters. That fox wanted to get me. No, he was your spirit animal trying to guide you. Uh, So yeah, uh, Monty is like old man Sting, retired Sting. He's no longer a wrestler Sting. Um, He starts speaking to the baby in Monty Brown voice. Mm -hmm. So he's like, goo goo gaga Sting! I love Monty. (laughs) Sting is a Pokemon. He is. Only uses his name. Jarrett mentions that Sting no longer listens to Toby Keith, but Carrie Underwood, which I think he's traded ah, up, frankly. fucking owned. Uh, Monty says, that's how we stroll, as he strolls the stroller, because it's Christmas catchphrase. Mike today explains that joke. <laughs> he's like, you want to see how we roll, not how we stroll. <laughs> Christian comes out and says they look stupid, to which Monty responds, this is entertainment. The st- we've looked at the statistics. And this is what the fans want. <laughs> yeah, we've done a, a controlled focus group where yeah. we, we uh, the, the match before this was Austin Aries, Roderick Strong, and Alex Shelley versus AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, and Chris Saban. So they were mm-hmm. like, do these people want this X division action or do Ooh. they want these antics and, and skits? To be fair, if the AEW antics and skits were this good, I'd be into it. <laughs> That that is like the biggest thing that I think people miss in like talking about the the like the, the last six months of AEW, where they're like it, they they present it very rigidly as sports entertainment versus pro wrestling, which it kind of is, but they miss the bigger issue in that like it's it's bad, bad. <laughs> it's just bad. Like it's not that you cannot do a good version of Timeless Tony Storm. It's that the version of Timeless Tony Storm they're doing is a bad one note act. Yeah. But here, you have Monty Brown dressed as Old Man Sting making baby noises. Yeah, if they committed, like, half as hard to that character as they do to this, mm. it'd be great. So, uh, Christian and 3D come out, clear a house, they have everybody but the chicken, then they throw the chicken out of the ring, but Abyss appears, Abyss and Rhino brawl, but Abyss gets dropped to the gore. Classic uh, Abyss. Jeff Jarrett's tribute to Sting, which aired on this episode, was heavily edited after airing. <laughs> the, the tribute was kept as the final segment of the show, but just lasted just over five minutes. A chance of boring greeted Jarrett as soon as he began the tribute. However, other derogatory chants were edited out as approximately 75% of the segment was chopped out. TNA social media team, release the full (laughs) cut. Release the Monty Brown cut. Release it. I want to see all the versions of Sting. Do it. I wonder do we have that tape. Probably don't. We have to get into contact with the people in the know. We have to find the people who are in the building that day and, and rebuild it from their memories using some sci-fi technology. Yes, we'll AI the segment. Out of their brain and into real life. God, we we should never take things out of wrestling fans' brains and bring them into real life. No, you would get some monstrous things. Some things you could not defeat in a 5x5 five five room. Well, if I choose. <laughs> 
The Go Home Show, January 14th. We reveal our, our end of year awards on this show. There, there are only one related to We don't the reveal ours. Well, no, we don't reveal ours. Ours will be on Patreon in the next couple of weeks. Uh, who to watch in 2006 went to Christian Cage. Okay. Great. When we do that award now, which, by the way, most of the award categories we do now are actually based on these when I put them back together. We started doing, doing awards in 2018. I started doing most of these awards. I think Finisher has been dropped since. Um, but these are the, the award categories that I was like, we need to carry these forward. So that's if you're ever wondering why it's specifically X Division Star of the Year, that's what it was in these set of awards. Mm. That same award went to Mike Bailey last night as we record this, but... Yeah, please give the, the 2023 versions of these awards. Uh, knockout of the Year went to Jackie Gaeta. In 2023, it went to Trinity. Um, finisher of the Year went to the Canadian Destroyer. We don't run that one anymore. Who, who would, would you give it to in 2023? Who would get the the uh, Impact Finisher of the Year? Maybe like ABC. I like the one 2 sweet as a finish. Mm-hmm. The Bailey move. Uh, Ultimate Weapon the is Ultimate always a good weapon. one. Yeah. Um, so who to watch in 2006 went to Christian Cage. 2023 went to Kylan King. Fun fact, she won by hmm. one vote. Did you vote in these awards, Garrett? Um, no. Hmm. I'm unbiased. She beat Jake that something. That was a suspicious by... no. She beat Jake something by a single vote. So every vote matters. Tag Team of the Year went to Team 3D. It went to ABC in 2023. Memorable Moment of the Year went to Christian's debut. It went to the announcement of the return of TNA in 2023. Uh, Exhibition Star of the Year, AJ, Mike Bailey in 2023. Food of the Year, we don't run. And Match of the Year went to Bardwire Massacre here and went to Will Ospreay versus Mike Bailey in 2023. So there you go. Hmm. Who was Mr. TNA? Alex Shelley, I guess. It was Male Wrestler of the Year, we call that now. But There you go. So Franchise has Jackie Gaeta asks her about the letter. She delivered a letter to Jeff Jarrett last week being like these are my secrets i have secrets jackie says this is between her and jared the letter lists her demands demore walks up and pitches working together it's like we can't make these demands come on she's like meet my demands demore has such a weird energy in these segments lately he's he's trying to talk down jackie gata but like even in the segments without like he looks he feels like browbeaten (laughs) <laughs> he's, he doesn't like doing Jarrett's dirty work, you see. I guess. He normally loves doing Jarrett's dirty work. He's very worried about what Jackie Gata could have. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, like, they're not... It's never actually revealed, which is the big thing. What did Jackie Gata... It's very obvious what she has. The idea is she has proof of what happened with controversy in Canada. Like, she, ha- she has, like, the paper trail of what happened there. But so, we all know that's what happened. <laughs> but, like, like, the idea that, like, TNA management was in on it, which is the reason Larry Z was was like so vehemently against Jackie Gata as well. She's he's trying to kick her out of the building at every turn. The idea is like she has the proof of like the actual collusion that led to Jeff Jarrett winning and Raven losing. I think that that's like what they were going for here. They never actually reveal it because Jackie Gata just disappears eventually. We have to use our contacts and find out. Coming soon to the Patreon scoops. What was Jackie Gata threatening Jeff Jarrett with? It was that. Though it was that. It's, they're not like Shut subtle up. about We're it. We're gonna Patreons. <laughs> it was very clearly that. But it, it, that's the reason Demore is very worried about it as well as Jarrett. Rents do. God damn it. <laughs> There's a sit-down interview with Jarrett and Monty. Same stuff. They're not scared of staying conspiracy. Main event of that episode is Rhino and Christian Cage versus America's Most Wanted. It sounds cool. It was a pretty good TV main. I like AMW had two TV matches this month. I thought both of them were pretty good. Mm. And the finish of the pay-per-view match is hilarious. So... <laughs> Uh, Chris Harris briefly turns into Kurt Angle and hits like a full overhead belly to belly to Christian to the floor. I'm like, where's that Chris Harris been? 
I don't know. He's been busy being Sting, I guess. Uh, Christian goes for the Unprettier, but Gale kicks him in the balls. Christian kicks out. Uh, 3D run out and uh, deal with Gale. 3D Neckbreaker Harris, Rhino, Gore, Storm. Christian Frog splashes Harris for the win. Monty and Abyss run out. Crowd chants, we want Sting. Monty pounces Christian. Jared hits him with the guitar, but the JPEGs appear. This time we hear from Sting. Sting's voice appears as he calls Jared the Queen of the Hill and Monty the Alpha Female. Ah. Ah. And then says, it's showtime at Final Resolution. So, you get it, because he called them women. He did call them women. He really put them down. Yeah. Sting's first TNA words after being signed were sexist. <laughs> Prefer the JPEGs. Yeah, the JPEGs never were problematic. Yeah, they, they were wholesome. That brings us to the pay-per-view. So there are two backstage promos, one from Jarrett, one from Christian. And Jarrett Monty's one basically is like, that Christian guy, awful habit of turning on people, doesn't he? Yeah, he's not a good partner. Yeah, he turned on Edge, turned on Chris Jericho. Huh, can you trust that guy? Do you think you can trust that guy? And then Christian does a backstage promo being like, Hey, you can trust me. We all hate Monty <laughs> and Jarrett, you can trust me. <laughs> so that does bring us to the main event, which is the return of Sting as a full-timer to a wrestling company for the first time in five years. Obviously, he did some dates in both WWE and TNA in between. But this is the return of Sting as a full-timer as he teams with Christian Cage to face Jeff Jarrett and Monty Brown. I mean, it's it's definitely cool to see Sting here. He is a star, he is a name, and, you know, crowd's into it, everyone's into it, I'm into it. Good stuff to have Sting here. And also, you know, the beginning of the run that is the thing I associate with Sting the most ever. Yeah, TNA guy to you. Yeah, to me. Full, fully TNA guy. I hope at uh, his retirement match he comes out to his TNA music. Or they do like the Great Muda thing where they do like the history of TNA or the history of Sting themes and they include the yes, TNA theme. Yes, that is such a great, that's such a great idea. Like what a perfect way for like a giant star like that. Mm. And the thing is, you've already done the Metallica thing. So it's like, you got to one up it somehow. And yeah, I, I like, I like that. That was so cool. For, and I love like hearing the pops for the, the more recognizable themes. Yeah. I liked uh, that they could, they played, they were like, all right, nine seconds of final countdown. <laughs> Yeah, we don't want to either go broke. I don't think they licensed it, or uh, if it's like we want, we want it to fall as as within fair use as we possibly can. It was uh, a lot shorter than the rest of them. <laughs> it was like da 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 da. So Sting comes out. To, as we said, he doesn't come out to the TNA Sting theme. He comes out to this weird like fake down with a sickness song. <laughs> it's very bad. Heavy shot at Monty Brown, who uh, also uses that fake down with the sickness song. That's true. Yeah, this this dumb, boring butt rock song was the Sting theme. I was like, nope, that's not the Sting theme. I don't think he ever uses that again either. I think they were very much like, oh, that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought Sting looked great, like because I think he's something like forty eight here. He's late forties anyway, and I thought he looked like he looked really good. He looked in good shape he he has the advantage of having face paint so he doesn't look old which i think is why, why every wrestler should have face paint so you can wrestle until you're 63 and you don't look old yeah uh, it's funny like he got in the ring he, he like uh, hit a hip toss hit a drop kick and then he got the you still got a chance which like people can correct me if i'm mistaken i think this is the origin of the you still got a chant yeah I mean, like, unless there was, like, some WWE legend thing? I don't think there was. I think this is the first time there was a You Still Got It chant, which is, like, fucking WWE chants just chanted it for France, just chanted it for CM Punk. <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> it's a very, very, very good bit. I was, like, uh, like uh, 50% of that um, MSG crowd not even knowing that he wrestled this year. <laughs> 
there i was watching a drew mcintyre like the t- promo on twitter and he, yeah. he did a good bit where he's like cm punk looked pretty good for his first match in 10 years and then gave like a little knowing glance at the camera <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh yeah chanting you still got it for cm punk is, is a good bit like the, there is like I, was it when Wrestle Jay- in front of eighty thousand people this year <laughs> Yeah, when Jay Lethal left TNA and went back to Ring of Honor <laughs> in 2011, yeah, he got you still got a chance. <laughs> that's a good one because that's a passive aggressive one. It is there, there, there is that is a, a loaded you still got a chant, but it is funny how that chant has evolved because like it, it does make sense here. Like Sting hasn't been on TV regularly for five yeah. years, like and he is old, so like it is like yeah, hell yeah, you still got it. I, I do like how Don mentions on commentary how Sting wanted to come back so he could go out in his own terms in 2024. <laughs> After cutting the same promo with the same point in AEW. Yeah, 18 years later, after this <laughs> return match, Sting is finally retired. And it's going to be Christian Cage and Sting versus Jeff Jarrett and Monty Brown. That match would be awesome. They do have three-fourths of it. And Monty should win. <laughs> Uh, so like yeah, they they build that story that we were talking about into the match that that there's dissension between these two or they they're not necessarily dissension but can they trust each other so they're they're all, they're all fine happy getting along for most of it Christian hits some stinger splashes but Gale's distraction allows Jared to get the heat on Jared Christian after a low blow Gale also hits an awesome hurricane rana off the apron on Christian it's nice when Gale gets to actually wrestle and not just shout at Jeff Jarrett backstage <laughs> yeah because she's very good. Uh, Sting gets the hot tag, hits some Stinger splashes, Ref gets bumped. Sting gets a phantom submission on Jarrett with the Scorpion Deathlock. Uh, Christian saves Sting from a Monty belt shot. Sting picks up the belt and then backs into Christian. And then they're like, whoa, are you going to hit me? You going to hit me, bro? You going to hit me with that belt? Uh, He doesn't. Team Canada run out, but Sting and Christian took them out with their respective reverses DDTs. The Scorpion Death Drop and and Christian's like fallout reverse DDT. Sting's just better. I kind of like Christian's. I mean, Christian's is, like, good, but, like, Sting's mm. is better. Uh, Jarrett got a belt shot, but Sting kicked out. I just, can I, re- I remembered something, mm-hmm. like, from my backyard wrestling days. Okay. Um, The first bump I ever took in a ring was after taking a Stinger splash, and then I went out and did the flare face bump. Uh-huh. Not really, not ever having taken a bump in a ring before. <laughs> fucking hurt so bad yeah like face first bumps aren't pleasant even when you know what you're doing knocked the complete wind out of my like <laughs> like i mean looked good let's be real mm. but hurt like a <laughs> son of a bitch i like the way you're like looked like a million bucks i was a pro but yeah 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 yeah. because like i i because at that point i you don't know how much it hurts Mm. the first time you take it so i just threw my whole body i fully like kicked my legs out like as like so it was as like powerful as possible and i fucking died oh you were like full like the the way eric young would take that bump yeah like that's exactly like full swing my leg forward and back to get as much momentum (laughs) as possible in it oh dear uh, i think i took it about 75 percent right mm. <laughs> but 25 percent of it was not right and that was enough to fuck me up mm. i think that's the story of your backyard career yeah pretty much jared tried to use a guitar but sting smashed it with a baseball bat spat shot to the gut scorpion death drop sting pins jared which is interesting they couldn't talk his way out of that one what's more interesting is like sting got a visual submission on jared in the match too which you would have thought was Jarrett's excuse for not losing. It's like, I'll, I'll give him a, a, a visual submission and Monty can take the fall. But Jarrett takes the fall too. I think even Jarrett knows. 
Yeah, and they do have to set up Sting and Jarrett as the match. And I think Jarrett knows that if he sets that up as the match, he has to be champion for the year and he gets to have the big match with Sting. Yeah. So it is a thing that seems on its surface generous, but in truth is actually also selfish because Jarrett knows then it kind of has to be him and Sting. Perfect. The greatest worker of all time. Legitimately, Monty Brown working with Sting is a big deal as when Brown was growing up, he had photos of Sting on his wall as one of his big sports heroes. As Brown was a bigger wrestling fan growing up than he was a football fan, when he played in the 1994 Super Bowl game as a member of the Buffalo Bills at the Georgia Dome, during that week he made sure to go to Main Event Fitness because he wanted to meet Sting. That's so sweet. Even as like a man about to play in a Super Bowl, he's still like, can I meet Sting? I want to meet Sting. That's, what a, what a, he's a little stinger. He is a little stinger, so Monty working with Sting is probably a, a highlight of his career. Alright Gary, I'm going to propose a question to you. Go for it. Five by five room. Mm-hmm. You and Sting. I uh, what era Sting we talking about? Modern day, but you don't have shoes. <laughs> I could take Sting. You could take Sting. I think Sting is one of those guys who I'm like, even Prime Sting. I'm pretty confident I could take Sting. You could not take Prime Sting. You could take down Sting. All show no. He's go. He's like three times as big as you. Yeah, he has muscles, but all show no go. I could take Sting. You could take Sting. He doesn't strike me as a fighter. You see, he gets the bat. Oh, he, he kicked my ass if he has a bat. Modern day, but he gets the bat. It's probably too slow, I could take him. Mm. But like, really, like Sting is one of those guys who's like, he doesn't strike me as, like, and then he's, I don't think he's ever projected himself as a guy who, who's actually tough, because I don't think he is. Yeah. Alright, everyone, bring that out to the, to the sheets. Garrett does not think Sting is tough ever. I could beat him in a fight, I could kick his ass. Alright. Don't back down, double down. Alright, let's head on. Think I, you could probably double leg take down him. When he's, like, young. Yeah. Too top-heavy. He's too muscular. He's he's all muscle. He's a bodybuilder. Bodybuilders, can you mm. can kick... Like, I, I'm not a fighter, but I think I could take down most bodybuilders. Mm. But he's, like, an athletic bodybuilder. Still a bodybuilder, though. Mm. Open challenge been uh, thrown out there by Garrett. Me versus any bodybuilder. Yeah. I guess we'll head over to Abyss and Rhino. Of course. Which is another one of the heavyweight feuds of the month. It sure was a number one. Uh, Rhino on the December 17th impact has a squash match against the debuting Joe Doring. Which is fun to see. Yeah, he looks so weird here. Yeah, he's, he, he he does not have any of his... Like, I was watching this and I was like, man, this guy's going to be a great Triple Crown champion one day. Just like Charlie Dempsey. Oh, you watch some people and you see them being like... You see their presence through their whole career, you know? You, you see who mm. they are even when they're younger. And you watch Joe Doring here and you're like, how did that man turn into that? Yeah, it took time. You're like, God, there's there's nothing there here. He's just a guy who squashed on TV. You're not like, oh, look at that guy. That's impressive. He's just a guy. And like, he went, like, when did he really start picking up in old Japan? Like 2015? Like the Goshiyazaki stuff? Early to mid 2010s, yeah. But then honestly, like he didn't really like, peak until like 2017 with like the Miyahara stuff. Mm. So it's like, that's a, like, it took a long time for him to like really get it. Like another decade. Yeah, shows. Keep working. Also, uh, if anyone hasn't seen Joe Doring Ultra Bad stuff, please watch it. Like, he, like his stuff is what got me back into that company in the mid 2050. Like him and Miyahara, like those two guys, so good. And then I'm obviously very it was very exciting to see him come back to TNA. Yeah. Hopefully everything goes good with his recovery and we get to see him again. Hope so. Uh, here he's just being squashed on TV. He debuted actually on a, a pay-per-view pre-show, but this is the first time we're seeing. Uh, Don mentions that Doring was one of the early TNA Academy guys. So if you remember, they were mentioning like the Academy and the yes. Asylum and all that stuff. Apparently, Joe Doring is one of those guys. Uh, Rhino wins with a gore. They they seem to like have an internal war about whether he's called the 
war machine or the man beast here. Yeah. Because... Are you a man beast guy or a war machine guy? I kind of like war machine. I like war machine too. But maybe it's just because it's his TNA nickname. But I like war machine. I like war machine more. Um... Uh, one thing I thought was good here was, like, they were talking about how he's, like, like a baby Team Canada guy. Mm. And then, like, the whole point being that Ryan is going to start running through Team Canada. So, like, they started off with, like, the Team Canada young boy. Yeah, after the match, Rhino does cut a promo being like, I want to go through Team Canada and get to Goring Demore. Which obviously ends in abyss. <laughs> there was a promo earlier on that show. It was actually right before the Rhino and Joe Doring match. Where a franchise has a bitchin... A, bi- a bitch. <laughs> he is a bitchin. <laughs> that is not the first time I've accidentally called abyss a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> franchise has a bitchin promo. Franchise has abyss and James Mitchell. They show abyss's scars from Barbed Wire uh. Massacre. And they're trying... To, it's interesting. They're trying to like pitch abyss as a top contender even though he spent like the entirety of the last month losing all abyss does is get his ass kicked because <laughs> he like he lost to sabu he lost to jeff hardy and he lost to rhino last month so like really all he does is get his ass kicked mm. uh, but now he has overcome his fears they particularly focus on rhino uh damore walks in with a business proposal for mitchell so the reason we pivot from rhino going after team canada to abyss is because damore has recruited uh abyss to take out rhino he's he struck a deal with uh, father james struck a deal with a bitch <laughs> december 31st impact rhino faces a1 yes johnny divine back again rhino wins with the gore demore hits him with a hockey stick after the match as rhino was about to get his hands on demore abyss jumped him and choke slammed him and then it's funny because they were doing the new year segment later people in the crowd had kazoos <laughs> I think they're just Christian fans. They might just be Christian fans. You're not wrong. So as as Rhino as Abyss was beating up Rhino, they were just blowing their kazoos. <laughs> as Demore and Mitchell shake hands, uh, I feel like all Abyss feuds the exact same thing. He just fights people. Like he calls it. Like there's the, like something happens, gets called out, whatever. He beats him up one week and then proceeds to get his ass kicked for the rest of the feud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gets the heat on them once. Like he'll hit him with a black hole slam, and then they will and relentlessly then, like, beat the shit out of him. And then the, the entire build up, they will beat him up, and then at the pay per view, they'll beat him up. Mm. And then boom, next pay per view cycle starts off with a post pay per view squash against some nerd. <laughs> These two are, like, on the opposite sides of lots of brawls. Oh, uh, the, the go-home show, there's a, an abyss squash over Jay Lethal. Uh, who is signed. Yes, we'll talk about that a little more for the Samoa Joe match, because I think that match is funnier. But, yeah, abyss beats Jay Lethal with, with the rare double rotation black hole slam. The even blacker hole slam. Yeah, that creates even more of an empty void. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's no actual development toward the Rhino match there. Basically, they brawl a bunch. They're like a, bu- a bunch of the the segments where they're running out and brawling, where there's a lot of Planet Jarrett running out and brawling. Rhino and Abyss are on either side of that as well. They're just they, yeah, they're a part of the big schmozzes that no one cares about. So pay per view match Abyss and Rhino. It kind of sucked. Yeah, and it's such a disappointment coming off of the like really great Abyss Sabu stuff. Yeah, it was kind of slow. It was kind of plotting. They didn't really do much, and that's it. It's just kind of a boring pay-per-view match. It's, I think it's probably because there was no uh, no plunder. Yeah, they do have a False Count Anywhere match. Uh, I think it's next month, which I remember being a lot better. I I remember because like don't they do the gore through like the the like staging? No, that's in the build-up to that match. They go through the wall. 
Yeah, which is, that's cool. But the, the finish of the pay-per-view match is he gores him out of the stands. Oh, yeah. So uh, I hope that match doesn't suck. I'll be disappointed if I go back to that match and that match sucks. But yeah, this match is just, there's just nothing. It's just two big guys who are working a relatively slow pace. They're doing a little plunder. There's like chairs involved and chairs in the corner and DQ's not being DQ'd for some reason. <laughs> it's so funny. Like they do do like the little bits of like the chair stuff. And then it's like, just like in front of the referee. Mm. And then the funnier part is Mitchell then distracts the referee when Abyss is going for a chain shot. It's like, you just hit him with a chair in front of him. Yeah, there was no need for any of that at this point. Uh, Rhino looks for the Rhino driver, which would have been a cool thing to hit on Abyss. Yeah. But James Mitchell grabs his leg, causing a distraction, allowing Abyss to hit a black hole slam onto a chair for the win. Very disappointing. Abyss getting his, like, much like he gets his one, like, beat up, his one win in these feuds. Yeah, so he can lose next month. Yeah, twice. Well, he get, get, get beat up once on TV and then loose. <laughs> the other, quote-unquote, major thing happening in the heavyweight division is the continued saga of Larry Zabisco and Raven. Of course, we finally get the reveal about Raven's girlfriend. Uh, yeah, there's a note that it was apparently meant to be, or at least they were thinking about it being Christy Hemming. Interesting. <laughs> but also, it goes absolutely nowhere and is completely dropped. Yeah. December 17th, Impact Franchise has Larry. He asks him about Raven, because Larry lost his cool at the pay-per-view. He's like, I won't lose my cool again. I am once again booking Raven versus an opponent of my choosing at the pay-per-view. If Raven wins, he will finally get his NWA world title shot he's been asking for. But if he loses, he will leave TNA forever. He'll never come back. The December 24th episode has a feature on Larry and Raven. There's a lot more butt rock on these shows, by the way. Yeah, they got the big spike budget now. Yeah, they have, they have the money for music. To pay these artists in exposure. And then on the Go Home show, there's also a feature on Raven and his woes. So there's not real much build to this. Like, Larry is uh, hovering... They've already done the build to this, to be fair. Yeah, Larry is hovering around doing, like, Planet Jarrett stuff for the most part for the month. But he still has this little Raven side issue going on. So Franchise has Larry at final resolution. He uh, appears to be in, like, an attic of some sort with a bunch of candles. <laughs> Which, again, I find... I always find incredibly funny to think of Raven and like setting them all up raven being like you know what we, we have to have a mood for this interview we can't just come out and talk franchise we have to we have to set the tone yeah he says that wrestling is the one thing that keeps him from blowing his brains out and it's very upsetting that larry z keeps trying to take it from him i would be upset too those are not that is not me paraphrasing him he was like this is the only thing that stops me from blowing my brains out and then he said and i'm very upset with larry for trying to take that away yeah Raven wonders whether his destiny will give him one last title run, or whether it's a ladder into oblivion. Okay. So Raven's mystery opponent this month is the returning Sean Waltman. X-Pac. They're here to have a worse match than last time. It is worse. They had a much better match, was it at Hard Justice last year? But it is still quite a funny match, so I do approve of it. Yeah. This is like more your... WWF mid-card hardcore title style. Yeah, this is what I would call a shopping cart match. Mm. And, and not, not in metaphor- a metaphorical sense, because you'd be like... And I would call it a shopping trolley match. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, I would also call it a shopping trolley. It's, just, it's the Americans' influence on me. But uh, it, it's not good at, like in a metaphorical sense, like a shopping trolley, because you'd bring it into a shop and bring like, lots of different parts into the shopping trolley. So it's a, a mm. mixed blunder. Not metaphorical, completely literal. They use a shopping cart a lot. Which was like the raven shtick of the time. Yeah, so there's a lot of um running and shopping carts into people's heads there is my my favorite part is raven puts waltman into a shopping cart at the top of the ramp and goes to run the shopping cart off the stage onto the floor but he does it in a way that the the trolley tips up 
and Waltman kind of falls out of it as it falls off the stage, lands ass first on the stage, and then bounces onto the floor in a way that probably hurt a lot more than would have if he was just dumped off the stage. This is why I imagine happening whenever I'm on like a night out and my friends are like, get in the shopping trolley. <laughs> and I'm like, no, this is how it will go wrong. You should show them this clip. <laughs> it's like, this is how this can go, go wrong. Get in the shopping trolley. Uh, so uh, ref gets bumped on a missed clothesline, visual pin on the Raven effect. Larry takes over as referee. Waltman hits a low blow in an X Factor, but Raven kicks out. Waltman misses a Bronco Buster onto a ladder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don starts getting mad at the cadence of Larry's counts. He says, I had two birthdays before he got that count in got him um waltman x factors raven off a ladder through a table for the win even though raven got his foot in the rope but larry missed it and i I do appreciate like the way they did it it was like it wasn't like that larry obviously deliberately missed it Hmm. like larry did have the plausible deniability of being on the other side of the pin and not seeing it it wasn't the case that larry looked at it saw it and still counted so i I kind of appreciate that more from the storytelling point of view where he could be like i did miss it i actually missed it I think it's more like he's so hyper-focused on making this guy lose Mm. than, like, I'm actively screwing him in this moment. So Raven is now gone from TNA. Cassidy Riley comes out. He's all sad. He's like, this is bullshit. Raven is like, no, stand down. (laughs) This is not bullshit. Uh, He leaves with security. He seems to accept his fate. As Don, he's walking past the announce desk, and Don's just like, you got robbed! You got robbed! And pats him on the back. Uh, Don is a ride or die, and we can all respect that. And as a note in the Wrestling Observer, the Raven Girlfriend storyline has been totally dropped, but at one point it was talked about for Christy Hemming. Such a weird combination of people. So we go to the announce desk as they're kind of reinforcing, which I do appreciate that they, they do spend like two minutes of Tanae and Wes talking at the table about, wow, Raven is gone. They don't just fully to the back yeah. it. Well, they do. They go to truth and then they come back to this. But at least they come back to settle in this moment because like Raven is a former world champion. He's like the number three star in this company for the prior three years, I guess, between behind AJ and Jarrett. So like a two time wrestler of the year. <laughs> yeah. So like I do appreciate how they, they, they did at least treat Raven being gone as a, a big deal. Even if Tanae was like, he actively reminded us like, remember what he said in that interview before? And that like, this is the only thing stopping him from killing himself. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, is he going to kill himself? So, yeah. So the tease of this story is that Raven is going to kill himself because he lost this match to Sean Waltman. Nice to put Sean Waltman over too on this one time appearance. Mm. Yeah. Waltman never comes back. Well, he does. <laughs> he does come back. Well, yeah, he goes back in 2010, but he, he doesn't come back in this run. This is the last we'll see of Sean Waltman for four years. Yeah, he was he wasn't in as good shape as he was last year, and he he did like this match was fine, but it wasn't nearly as good as the match he had with Raven in May last year. So, well, that yeah, that was much. That was also cooler. It was just the cooler match, and they did crazier shit. Mm. Oh, the finish of that match is so good when he back body dropped yeah. him into the cage wall, and the cage wall fell down. It was perfect. And that spot where Raven just walks him off the ramp and fucks him off the stage. <laughs> yeah. So good. Uh, Raven, Larry is also seeing Raven out. Jackie Gator comes up and says, both her and Raven have been screwed and it's a lot bigger than Raven thinks. Surely she should be like, mm. I have the proof about how there was collusion about you being screwed. <laughs> Surely, like Raven, she should be like, hey, you, you, we need to talk. She should have done that like four weeks ago. She should have been on Raven's side all along. She would have, he, Raven would have appreciated an ally. Maybe th- they could have just made Jackie Gator the, the woman in his life. That would have made a lot of sense. Tie those two stories together. 
But then they'd have to do something with Raven. <laughs> or Jackie Yeda. That takes us over to the X Division, starting with the X Division Championship match, which is Samoa Joe versus Christopher Daniels. On the first impact of the month, Samoa Joe faces a debuting Jay Lethal. In a sweet match. I, I love this match. I find this match so funny. <laughs> <laughs> because if you watch any of Joe's other TV squashes, he eats these people alive yeah like he does not give them like watch like the red match or the delirious match or anybody else he just destroys on tv he absolutely kills them they might get like the smallest hint of a hope spot that he shuts down immediately and he wins in two minutes versus this match where he is wrestling his friend jay lethal yeah and i like that they gave it an out though mm-hmm Saying that, like, he was real banged up from the match at the pay-per-view. Yeah. So, like, they gave it a reason, which I appreciate. But, like, you know, like, it's so blatant. <laughs> Samoa Joe would like his friend to have a job. Yeah. So he sells way more than you ever would for Jay Lethal. Like, he bumps for a leg sweep. He bumps for an arm drag. He bumps for a leg lariat. He gets, like, for Jay Lethal in Lethal's TV debut as a complete nobody. <laughs> yeah. It's very funny. But it works. It does work. He is ultimately signed to a deal. So it, it is very charming that Joe gave him this and helped him get a deal. It's it's very, it's very nice to see Joe do that for his boy, even if his boy is Jay Lethal. Oh, we have some good years of Jay Lethal. Uh, Joe wins with the Muscle Buster and the Coquina Clutch. December 24th, Impact Christopher Daniels faces Eric Young. They sure do. Yeah, this was a match with, it was a little weird. They were like on different pages. Um, you would think these two would be like in sync. In sync? Yeah, you think they'd be in sync. Mm, dance routine. In the new Trolls movie. Why is that that movie? <laughs> because they've reached a point with that franchise uh-huh. that now it has become the we can slap the branding and make any old shite. Mm. It's like Despicable Me, but a tenth of the success. <laughs> and then you'll check it that made like $800 million. I'm going to check it right now. I'm only comparing it like... Uh, that was not me digging on the trolls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was more me uh, digging on how much money Despicable Me makes. It does make a lot of money. It is a very successful franchise. Apparently the second Trolls movie was also musical themed. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Anna Kendrick is the main troll. <laughs> what a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Made $347 million mm. uh, on a $125 million budget. So they're doing okay. Which I would imagine went mostly to the cast. Mm. And the music licensing, probably. <laughs> and the second one, Trolls Band Together. Mm-hmm. No, it's Trolls World Tour. Trolls Band Together is... Like, and I, wait, oh, I was going to say, Anna Kendrick isn't even in this one, but she is. Fucking dogged it. The second one did not do well. <laughs> the second one was like a COVID release, though, wasn't it? It was uh, VOD as well as theaters. Yes. It was limited number of theaters. And I actually think it was one of those that was like one of the original big streaming hits in COVID because it was a Trolls movie and kids mm. were desperate for anything. Yeah. And Kelly Clarkson was in. Since you've been gone, etc. Yeah. That was Kelly Clarkson, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. That wasn't Kelly Clarkson. That was, that was the song. Mm. Do they even have that in this? <laughs> Didn't, they, the, Kelly Clarkson was like, listen, I'm in the movie, but you're not getting me. You're not getting my big track without some money. Yeah. You can sing... <laughs> You can sing Born to Die. Yeah, that's my favorite Kelly Clarkson song. Yeah. So before this Daniels EY match, Daniels does do a promo. He's returning to tonight. He has, he has Joe at final resolution. He's like, I will shatter Joe's aura of invincibility. So Daniels returned, if you remember, a turning point after the match. He ran off Joe, but then one headbutt caused his brain to go, woo. 
Ooh. Yeah, so Shannon Moore is here. Unfortunately. Both this and there's a match we'll talk about when we're talking about one of the other X Division things, but on the, the show prior as well. Uh, Shannon Moore is standing atop the stage with a sign that says the X Division needs to get punked. Ashton Kutcher? No, he's the Prince of Punk. Ashton Kutcher. Yes. Oh, okay, yes. So, yeah. Isn't he cancelled now? Is he? What did he do? I think he's just like a weird celebrity guy. Good weird celebrity guy or bad oh, weird no, celebrity guy? Oh, no, I remember I remember, I remember. what he was cancelled for. Um, All of the, like, uh, Mila Kunis is 16 in these clips things. Mm. And him being, like, an object pervert mm. to her in, like, uh, interviews and such. Cool. Yeah. And he married her. So yeah, Shannon Moore's around. Don Harris shows up and he's like, can you get down? <laughs> and he's like, no. Yeah, the punk thing would have been for him to dive. Yeah, he should have dived on Don Harris. Take him out. Uh, he doesn't even have the book of Dilly Gaff, so I don't give a fuck. Got him. Eric Young goes for a moonsault, but Daniels just launches him off the top rope instead, which is a real cool spot. Like, he still kind of does a moonsault, but Daniels just literally flips him over. Yeah. Uh, Daniels hits the BME, but the more distracts the referee. Then Daniels just wins with the Angels' wings. Like, they went to a replay of the BME, so it feels like there was an edit there for something. Like, it was a weird finish in that, like, why not just beat him with the BME if you're just going to hit the Angels' wings straight after? But I'd say they, they cut something out there when they went to the replay. Release the uncut version. <laughs> Release the full Daniels-Eric Young match. We deserve it. Do we? Yeah, we do. Samoa Joe on the December 31st Impact wrestles Roderick Strong. That's fun. It's a fun little combination. There's a feature before this match on Joe, which is just like a 50 second him kicking ass feature. And it's like, God, he's so cool. He's also a great him kicking ass feature guy yeah because he kicks so much ass the towel is so disgusting <laughs> yeah and they like they change it to a fresh towel because he does a promo we'll talk about that in a second but like the towel has now turned to like such a, a gross color <laughs> brown it, it is like a brown now and it's like ugh, we, we should not be doing this it's it's gross it's so yucky uh, Moore is once again being shouted at by Don Harris and we also have another reoccurring theme this month which is Dave Hebner <laughs> at the top of the stage taking some notes and like when this first happened I thought the bit was going to be that Dave Hebner is like judging the referee's performances mm. because the first time he does it is during like a time when a referee is being distracted but then it's not that at all so now I'm just confused. <laughs> yeah, Tanae does inform us here that, that TNA has hired Dave Hebner as a consultant. And I don't think it goes anywhere after that. It's just like, let's just have Dave Hebner there, I guess. He just keeps showing up, like, week after week. My favorite thing was in week one where he's like, that's one of the Hebners. Oh, but yeah, and the crowd chanted, starts chanting, you screwed bread at him because they think he's Earl. <laughs> the, the greatest tweeter of all time. I wouldn't say that personally. Why? I would not personally co-sign the thoughts of Earl Hebner. <laughs> Oh no, let me go search some Earl Hebner tweets. Mm hmm. No. <laughs> Please read some of the content you have co signed. I never co signed it. You, you said he is the best tweeter of all time. I never said I agreed with the words of one Earl Hebner. That is a full and hearty endorsement of Earl Hebner's tweets, which you will now read. You are a sick bitch. <laughs> I pay more taxes than you make a year, you loser. <laughs> Why is he fighting with people? I will sell you some, but cash only if you have it. I might throw in a Hebner show if you could luck. 
He's selling people too many things. On my way to Emporia for Hermes Sadler's main event 2014, Sadler vs. Jarrett. <laughs> See? Nothing's bad yet. It's the TNA dream match you've you always sm- wanted. You smell like a rat. <laughs> <laughs> what does a rat smell like? <sighs> like a rat. If you were at a 5 by 5 Yeah, with a rat? With Earl Hebner. <laughs> easy. Also easy. Wait, you... Okay, now we have to go back into this. You would be right. afraid of a spider, but not a rat. I wouldn't enjoy the rat, uh-huh. but I would feel my com- confident in my ability to punt it in the head. But you could punt the scorpion too! <laughs> no, it'll sting me. <laughs> What's your girl's lover's name? Go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. That's a, an unusual name, but... She is great. Would you like to try me out? <laughs> No one should tweet. No one should ever tweet. Why do we have it? A lot of it is just him telling people to go fuck themselves. Mm. I am not aces and eights. I am just the most honest ref in the ring. That's why I am in main event. I did appreciate that Earl Hebner had that bit for years where he would wait for the crowd to chant you screwed bread at him. And then he'd re- he would reveal his undershirt that said, damn right I did. Oh, okay. I thought that was creepier than it was. It was not. I haven't found anything negative here. Mm. Just him telling people to go fuck themselves. Uh, Joe and Strong! You keep talking, I'm gonna keep reading the El Hebner tweet. Uh, pretty good match. Don't give BJ two sluts, your mum should get a pimp and make so money for her big lips, she looks like an anteater. <laughs> going in on these people. <laughs> good lord. <laughs> a bit rude. Strong gets a big backbreaker in, which is cool to hit on Joe because he's humongous, but Joe wins with the muscle buster and the coquina clutch, and the muscle buster is the more perplexed move of the night. <laughs> I got your forehead swinging CD's nuts, sucker. Mm. <laughs> a lot of people seem to tell him that he makes more money. He pays more taxes than they make money. Mm. Keep talking. I will come up with good shit when I come up with it. I'm just looking for the next Joe note. One sec. <laughs> so the January 7th impact franchise has Samoa Joe. <gasps> Now, Samoa Joe has not cut many promos in TNA. I bet he's barely said a word. He gave out to franchise once, but that's all he has spoken. As Joe initially doesn't respond, Shane is like, fine, I won't go to an interview with you. <laughs> and Joe stops him. And Joe cuts his first, like, proper promo in TNA, where he talks about how there is a thin line between bravery and stupidity. And Daniels has crossed that line. He has now replaced the old, gross, horrible towel with a fresh towel for all of Daniels' blood that he will draw at final resolution. Franchise then like at the though. <laughs> I have the hottest chicks, hottest lips than any ref in the world. I guess I am a knockout myself for TNA knockouts. Who can be me? Number one. It's like a coherent thought. There is I the, the there is no structure to any of these tweets. All the sentences are disconnected. They're also not spelt correct in any way. It is like a man who had seven different thoughts during a day, wrote them all down into a single tweet as the day went on, and then just hit send at the end of the day. I am the greatest of all times. You fans are jealous of me. None of you can be me. So get a life and move on with yours. Mm-hmm. Brian H, you too. <laughs> wow. Calling out his son. <laughs> I know. I gotta start sniffing these so I can post them. Franchise pushes his luck and asks Joe a follow-up about Sting. He's like, ooh, now you're talking. Let me ask you about Sting. And Joe just walks away. <laughs> Joe looks like mad that he brought it up. It's like, how dare you ask me about a second thing? I gave you a promo. I actually talked to you. And you dare, you dare follow up? 
Mm-hmm. How dare you? Franchise. Ooh, franchise. What? <laughs> what have you found now? Uh, so, at Rude Girl mm-hmm. tweeted, At Madison Rain, before you snogged the Ohebna, I actually thought you had a crush on Garrett TNA XOX. Not me. I assume not you. No. To which he replied with, You must be a lesbian. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Oh, because there was that story they did where Madison Rain was <laughs> flirting with Earl Hebner to try and get favorable decisions in her favor. <laughs> Big night at TNA. I know <laughs> Brian Hebner wishes he could be me. Not a chance. Go fuck <laughs> Seems like a real healthy father-son relationship <laughs> developing here. It has to be a bit. I'd imagine it is. I would hope it is. <laughs> Just, you'll never be me. Go fuck yourself. Go home episode of Impact, Samoa Joe faced Cassidy Riley. <laughs> I'm sorry, Gareth, there's too many. Stop reading his tweets. Close the tab. Happy birthday at Jeff Jarrett TNA. Looks like we both are kissing beautiful women on your birthdays. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you, you, I'm going to need you to close the Earl Hefner tweet tab. Can we find one more? No. Can we ended on a high note. We, we've already ended on a high note. He told Jeff Jarrett to go fuck himself. <laughs> Your mama an asshole. Just, that was not added at anyone. Succinct. That's just for the general reader. Sorry, your mama an asshole. Oh, that does change the context. But it's one word. Mm. I'm gonna just tweet that one, I reckon. <laughs> Alright, I'm done. I'm closing it. <laughs> Joe, Cassidy Riley. Yeah, what about it? <laughs> I would say that... Um, Joe ate Cassidy Riley up more than he ate Lethal up, but Riley got a bigger deer fall on Joe than nearly anybody in TNA history. So Daniels is on commentary. AJ chases Shannon Moore around ringside. Joe ignored Moore but dropped AJ, which is like one of those things I love. It's like Moore could run away, but fuck you, AJ. He's like, I don't care about Moore, but I still dislike you. AJ then hits Joe with a Pele, and Cassidy Riley gets like an actual near fall off of that. He like pins him and he kicks out, which I actually quite liked. And uh, Joe then fired up, kicked the living shit out of Cassidy Riley, muscle buster cooking a clutch for the win. Joe looked to muscle buster Cassidy Riley on a chair, but Daniels makes the save. Daniels then hit Joe with the chair as Joe bails. Setting up at the pay-per-view, Samoa Joe versus Christopher Daniels for the X Division Championship. Earlier on the show, the franchise had Daniels and the franchise addresses the, the elephant in the room, the story of this match basically, that Daniels has come back from his concussion too soon. Uh, Daniels points out that Joe has never beaten him and Daniels said he's not afraid to shed blood for what he believes in and Daniels parses the difference between unbeaten and unbeatable and says Joe will be beaten tonight. So that's basically like the story of the match uh, that they, they, they develop as as Daniels fires up and tries to win the X Division title and every time Joe just goes after his head and Daniels falls apart. <laughs> See, this match, mm-hmm. I liked what I remember of it but then my appendix started exploding. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember the last half of it because of the searing pain in my stomach. So just like Chris Daniels, you came in all fired up, but then your appendix started bursting and tearing you down. Yeah, pretty much. I came back too soon, much like Chris Daniels. There was a a bunch of like little touches, like you know, Joe does the the thing where he does the chop to the back, the kick to the like shoulder, and uh, hits the ropes and drops a knee, like one of those classic like little Joe sequences. Whereas here, he does chop the back, kick to the shoulder, and when he goes to drop the head, the, the knee on the head, Daniels completely covers up to, to protect his head. And it's one of those, like, small little touches. It's like, obviously, the story of the match is Daniels uh, might have a, still have a concussion or still have the lingering effects of a concussion. So he's uh, trying to avoid every and all damage to his head as possible. Uh, Daniels goes to powerbomb Joe out of the corner, but Joe reverses it into a Rana and then falls with a lariat because he's fucking awesome. 
Daniels hits the BME, but Joe kicks out. Daniels hits a slingshot elbow over the ropes to the floor, where he hands, lands like <laughs> right on his fucking hip. yeah, hip first. And I think he misses the mat as well and hits like the concrete part of the floor. It's like, oh, that's that sucks. I remember relating heavily to that. <laughs> Just pain. <laughs> <laughs> of land of my side time. Mm. Uh, Joe hits a boot as Daniels is coming through the ropes and then does the rail face wash uh, out on the floor, which busts Daniels open. And then we settle into like the actual story of this match as Joe relentlessly goes after Daniels' head. So Styles comes out to ringside. He has a towel in hand. He's watching on. He's cheering on Daniels. Daniels fires up, goes for the Angels of Wings, but crumbles. Joe then keeps hitting him in the head. Muscle busterism, but Daniels squirms the ropes before Joe can lock into Coquina Clutch. Joe drops Daniels with a muscle buster on a chair. Um, Tanay does it least try to justify the use of the chair in that setting being like oh the referee is intimidated by joe but listen rhino and abyss were hitting each other with chairs earlier so i guess it's just legal in this company (laughs) yeah it's the opposite of new japan where the outside is pure uh, wrestling pretty much yeah yeah in in tna the inside (laughs) is where you're allowed to use weapons Mm. Uh, Joe then kicks Daniels in the head a bunch and starts wailing on Daniels with knees to the head and he does like these big wind up for them and he's looking at AJ as he throws each and every one as AJ picks the towel up uh, picks Joe's towel up and he's like well, should I throw it in Th- should I throw it in he's conflicted before he eventually throws the towel in on Daniels behalf and then Joe collects the blood of Daniels and leaves and he's like fuck yeah I did it what gives AJ Styles the authority well we'll talk about it when we talk about AJ stuff but there there was some tag team stuff this month they, they did come closer together they were in a, a six man tag and then they faced AMW in a tag so they did at least set up the idea that obviously these two are long term rivals and even when Joe took out Daniels in the first place AJ came out to check on Daniels so they have at least set the seeds that there is like their, their long term rivalry yeah but I want his legal precedence <laughs> do you want to see his manager's license where is his manager's license mm, to see his right to throw in a towel on Daniels behalf Exactly. And I'm sure that will be a little development you will see in, in February with Daniels being like, what the hell, man? <laughs> what the hell? I had him. <laughs> yeah. Had him right where I wanted him. I wasn't beat, dude. Uh, Tanae does reinforce after the match as Daniels is being checked and tended to that uh, he's a father of two and AJ made the right call to protect Daniels' long-term career. Says him. So, like, I didn't love this as, like, a match. I think they have a much better match in April, these two. Maybe the best match of Christopher Daniels' career. But I did, like, appreciate the story and I think they told the story they wanted to tell really well with Joe once again being an unstoppable monster like you could talk about the chair spot the muscle buster on the chair which I understand why they did it because that's the spot that he gave him the concussion with in the first place back uh, mm-hmm. after the, the Elimination X match at Genesis but I don't think they needed that spot just because Joe's needs to the head looked so gnarly by themselves that like oh his head is in great trauma here you, you didn't need the chair spot because Joe could just be a monster and like it's you know it's more intimidating that a guy is just doing this with his body mm, he's just fucking you up he doesn't need a chair yeah like it's it's more brutal like in a street fighting sense where you're just like watching a man get his head kicked in mm. but yeah i did appreciate the, the the story of this match being that like at the start daniels had a fire and he could go for it but the second joe hit him in the head it was fucking over like daniels was just done and the match increasingly got away from daniels to the point that aj had to to submit on his behalf i thought they they did that story really well and it's, it's one of those where like you would be tempted to be like you can't 
can't kick Daniel's ass that much, you know? He, he, he's a baby face. You can't have him destroyed like that. But, like, it fits the story. It's like, he, he, he came back too fast. He took this match too fast. Joe is a killer, and Joe kills him. Yeah. And we will follow on from here. And I, I think I talked about this last month, but it's like the idea that, like, the X Division didn't have stories. Just because they're not doing 15-minute promos in the ring, it's like they don't have stories. It's like they, they've had this this now three-month story with Daniels and Styles and the, the building relationship between Daniels and Styles, but now the tension that I imagine will emerge from this between Daniels and Styles because Daniels wouldn't have wanted to submit. Like, And then Joe is the monster that they're both trying to topple. That's like a really compelling story. But no, it's just there's good wrestling there, so there can't possibly be a story. Wow, 2023. I know. <laughs> My God, people have never understood how stories actually work in wrestling, did, did they? But like, it, it, uh, for real though, <laughs> like it's always so reductive. Like if it's not the WWE vision of what storytelling in wrestling is, which as I said, is the 15 minute Raw opening promo. It's lots of talking. It's not like actual nuanced, compelling story and characterization. If you don't do it the way WWE has done it for for the last 20 years, people just pretend it doesn't count. Like, people pretend, like, the, the Continental Classic was just wrestling. When you would have to be a fucking clown! See what that one person said? Where they're like, if you're gonna respond, like, and tell me that this place, that this tournament had all these stories, why don't you tell me what they are? Then some guy responded with, like, 12. Yeah! There's Brian Danielson's eye, there's Daniel Garcia trying to earn his one win, there's, like, the little BCC tension with them being in the both in the same block, there's Swerve trying to prove he's on the top level of the top Kingston. stars, there's Eddie Kingston putting his belts on the line and coming from a, a, a Briscoe adjusting start. to be a singles wrestler, Jay Lethal learning how to be, uh, has been relying on outside interference to win his matches for the past year and is now failing when put in there by himself. And it's like, no, because again, there was no stand in the ring for 15 minutes and talk to each other about what the story is. There's no story. And it's like, they, even if you want like promos expanding beyond that, they had yeah, them. Yeah, loads of them. And they were great. They were fucking awesome. <laughs> they were like the best talking I've seen all year. Mm. But nope, you didn't do them in a ring for 15 minutes. It does not count. Like, that's that's what it comes down so to. Stupid. That is literally what it comes down to. If it's not two people standing in a ring talking to each other for longer than 10 minutes, it does not count. It's so fucking stupid. That's really annoying. Mm. So, a friend of Donald Faison, AJ Styles, has stuff, stuff going on this month. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not a lot. It's a weirdly quiet month for AJ. Well, when he's not a champion, this kind of happens. Yeah, and I guess, like, the, the X-Title program is Daniels at the moment. He's not really hovering around the world title scene. He does come back into the X-Title program next month. So it's it's more like a, a month off. Like he's facing Hiroshi Tanahashi at the pay-per-view. Ah, oh, what a gimme. <laughs> yeah, it's like what a month off for AJ. He's only wrestling Hiroshi Tanahashi at the pay-per-view. <laughs> only wrestling the president. Yeah, of the world. I salute you, Mr. President. But yeah, so like they announce that match at some point and then uh, they also do a little like 40 second feature that has some Tanahashi New Japan footage in it, which is the first time Tanahashi, I guess, would have appeared on US national television. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so main event of the December 31st episode is James Storm versus AJ Styles. Um, that match leads to Larry Zabisco making an NWA world title match because uh, Storm hits AJ with a beer bottle and falls with the super kick for the win. Uh, Daniels points out the glass. Storm, however, has a second bottle, which I love. And he's like, my bottle's fine. Fine. This what that wasn't my bottle. Look, my bottle's right here. 
<laughs> Which, again, like, James Storm is such a treat as, like, a shit, shitty heel, man. And, like, they, they don't do that all the time. Like, they do just, eventually, he just hits guys with bottles. But I do appreciate how the first few times he did it, like, we were talking about the, the one where he's, like, someone from the crowd threw it and it wasn't me. Or this one where he used the beer bottle and the ref when, when Daniels is, like, look at the glass. Storm is, like, my beer bottle's right here. That wasn't mine. <laughs> so, like, he was, there's that thing. It's always, like, oh, it's a great weapon, but it leaves too much evidence to be credible. And Storm is, like, I've thought about that. But, like, I guess, like, eventually you run out of excuses. You do, and then you just use it as a weapon. Unfortunately, it's, like, cool as hell. So, like, it doesn't really matter. It's one of those that I always insist wrestling needs to work on an emotional level, not a logical level. And the beer bottle is fucking awesome. So it works on an emotional level. Yeah. Um. So Daniels, despite pointing that out, does not get the decision overturned. But Larry Z comes out and books for later that night because this is the, the New Year's Eve, New Year's Day split episode. So the match on the New Year's Day episode, or the, I guess the New Year's Night episode, the Midnight episode, will be, for the NWA World Tag Team titles, America's Most Wanted versus is the X Division Dream Team of AJ Styles and Christopher Daniel. I thought this was gonna own, mm. and it didn't really own. I really liked it. It was just like good. Yeah, because well, like it was a thirty-minute special, so like they obviously like impacts an hour anyway. But like this was a, only a thirty-minute show, so there's only so much ownage they could own, especially with a lot of Shannon Moore involved, which is way too much Shannon Moore involved yeah. this, this month in general. <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was a, a good time, and they'll have better matches in two thousand six. But that this was a, a nice little teaser, and it's, it's like you see Styles and Daniel coming together as a team and Styles fucking hot tag is so good that dude can do anything in wrestling he is the best wrestler Hmm. so Harris hits a catatonic on Styles but Daniels makes the save Harris bumps the ref with a clothesline Styles hits Storm with the clash but Shannon Moore runs out and drops Styles allowing Storm to get the pin so AMW retained the tag titles over Styles and Daniels but uh, there will be more to come from these two teams next year AJ taking two L's in a row yeah he's he's not a priority this month he can take falls the main event of the following week's episode January 7th is Austin Aries Roderick Strong and Alex Shelley versus AJ Styles Christopher Daniels and Chris Sabin should we talk about how we got to this yeah so there was a, a segment backstage in which uh, the the Ring of Honor staple Generation Next are like, Hey, Larry Z, mm-hmm. we ain't booked on the pay-per-view. What the hell, man? And Larry Z's like, try winning. <laughs> yeah. How about you try and do some shit, huh? Which is like, you know what? It's fair. Larry's like, you were always like, I want, I want. Why don't you go do something about it, huh? They're like, yeah, we'll do that then. Then Jerry Lynn walks up and is like, you guys had a match. Would you stop moaning to Larry? Which I'm convinced is just an excuse to like, let's get some Jerry Lynn on TV. Mm. So that does lead us to this match in which the, the trio of Aries, Strong, and Shelly face Styles, uh, Daniels, and Saban. And it's a fucking great match for what it is. <laughs> which is like a six minute TV match between these six guys. But I do appreciate, uh, I, I've been giving out about trios matches a lot lately. In that I, I think too many of AEW's trios matches have too long a final stretch. Where it's like shine, heat, and then 70% of the match is just guys hitting moves, guys hitting moves, guys hitting moves, guys hitting moves. And I think that formula works really well for a 6-12 to 12 minute trios match. And does not work as well for anything longer than like 15. Because it just becomes relentlessly guys hitting moves and it becomes a little bit numbing. You need to have some, like any match, if you're going for 
a long period of time, you need to have some sort of connective tissue or story being told. Yeah, because we were talking specifically about the, what was it, Tanahashi, Okada, and Ishii against, what was the other trio? Cobb, Okan, and Hanari. That, that match for the Never Trios titles in New Japan, where, like, they built arcs of that match around isolating Ishii. Even after, like, the comeback segment, they continued to isolate Ishii and keep Tanahashi and Okada on the floor until you had, like, an awesome moment in that match when Tanahashi and Okada finally got back in and turned the tide and ultimately that's what led to Ishii winning and it's like there was an actual arc an actual story there was actual like meaningful distinct segments of the match and not just guy hits move guy hits move guy hits move standing ovation guy hits move guy hits move guy hits move uh, applause break like that which, which is the way like AEW's trios matches can all have be structured and they do become a little bit exhausting so just to see it condensed down into like the classic six to eight minute trios match it does feel a little bit refreshing that it's like in and out it's a lot of action it's guys like hitting their moves but not in a way that's just like relentless and then they they just go to a finish it certainly is refreshed different take on the on the similar thing mm. this is where they officially announced that styles and tanashi will face at the pay-per-view uh saban and shelly both also uh and it's, it's more pronounced i think in the pay-per-view match actually saban doesn't get that the change until the pay-per-view match but both of them this month get their hair dyed yeah, it's like, you guys should just be tag partners at this yeah, point. Yeah, they, they, like, the foreshadowing is getting stronger and stronger. It's like you are getting closer and closer to each other. Do you think they're trying to make, like, that visual connection? So, like, they're, like, they're, like pitching it? Yeah, both blonde, well, Saban is more, like, blonde highlights, whereas um, Shelly is a blonde streak. Uh, both from Detroit, both X-Division guys. Hey, put us together. Even Joe gets that, like orangey streak through his hair this year it is the era of it we're in 2005 yeah no we're moving into 06 liam that's the reason everyone's like let's get our hair dyed it's a new year yeah yeah we gotta get a big 06 uh feud mm. well what when did they first team up they first started teaming in sometime in 06 and 01 i think it's like summer of this year is when they start teaming on in, yeah. in 01 so they probably like they probably have the idea at this point but like, even like 01 is just like let's shove these two guys together we booked them <laughs> Yeah, but I, I'm sure, like, they're, like, I, I would be I would be shocked when they weren't, like, hey, you think we'd be a cool tag team? Yeah, these two have run in the same circles, I'd imagine, long enough as two Michigan guys and two BCW trainees. So, like, both both of them came from the same school, worked in the same scene long enough that surely it, it is probably a thought that has crossed their mind. I'm sure there's probably some instances of them teaming on the indies in some capacity. Mm. Were, they, uh, were they ever Murder City Machine Guns in TNA? No, always motor. They're always motor? Mm. Interesting. Um, strong Shelly and Aries are a really great trio. I'm glad that TNA invented it. <laughs> yes. Where's Jack Evans? Get him in here. They he could be. He'd be he would be perfect. Just add him to this act. Uh, during this match, Daniels gets dropped, holded into the rail, and then starts selling his concussion, which is a nice touch. Aries is so good, man. <laughs> like, it's upsetting. <laughs> Do you want to talk about what we've been talking about today? Yeah, about how like, people don't realize Austin Aries is good because he's a bad person. Yeah. Just like, get over yourselves. He's, he's a good wrestler. <laughs> we are going to be so desperate for his run when we cover 2012. Mm. Um, Aries goes to hit Daniels with a chair, but AJ flies out of nowhere with a dropkick, which kind of rocked. Uh, saving gets isolated and hit with a Ghostbuster and a slice bread for the win. So the not generation next have backed up their talk as they beat three former X Division champions. It's a big win for them. It is a big win. So uh, the go-home impact to January 14th. Mike today's on the ring and he's awarding Mr. TNA to AJ Styles. I'm shocked. Winning it for the third year in a row. Mm -hmm. AJ says that Tanahashi is going to be the first to find out how phenomenal AJ will be in 2006. It turns out that's Shannon Moore who throws powder in his eyes and steals his award. 
Yeah, so Shannon Moore is the canonical Mr. Congratulations TNA. Congratulations to Mr. TNA, the Prince of Punk Shannon Moore. Disgusting. Uh, so there's then a little show running thing where, as mentioned, during the Joe and Cassidy Riley match, AJ takes more around ringside trying to get his trophy back. And even during a Jackie Gator pre-tape, they brawl as well trying to get his trophy back. They are kind of trying. It, there is a story there, which is funny because it builds to not AJ Styles versus Shannon Moore. It's AJ Styles versus Hiroshi Tanahashi at Final Resolution. Which is fun. Like, it's, it's, what a fun little match. Yeah, Tanahashi comes out to, like, generic Japanese song rather than high energy, which is funny because the TV taping after this, he does a, an explosion match, which is very funny that Tanahashi's only working explosion for when you have him on TV. It's so weird that era where it's like, you know, if Tanahashi's in TNA now, he's doing a big thing on TV. You know, if Osprey's in TNA, he's doing a Josh Alexander match on TV, you know? Well, because the, the people in charge here get it. They understand the appeal of having Hiroshi Tanahashi there. Whereas back then, it's just like, let's put him against Roderick Strong and Explosion. Or when uh, reigning IWGP champion Shinsuke Nakamura is there in 2008, Explosion <laughs> match against Elix Skipper. It's like, what are you doing? But when, when he was on Explosion, when Tanahashi was on Explosion, he had high energy there. So I'm like, what happened to the pay-per-view? Where'd high energy go? They didn't send the MP3. Not in time, anyway. They're like, we don't want this generic. Even Tana probably came out to the generic song. He's like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> Uh, Tana is 29 here and he is the reigning U30 champion mm-hmm. which is a belt only people under the age of 30 can hold so Tana's running up against that age limit one of us on this show could hold it fuck you <laughs> <laughs> rude <laughs> what do you think of a belt like that um, I I think it's a dumb name and it's inherently got like a cap on mm-hmm. it um, although this did main event the Tokyo Dome I think I would like a title like that with which isn't like strictly adhered to like in its actual rules but is spiritually the same thing mm, something that is uh, a mid-card belt for the youngin but is not expressly a mid-card that you, belt that, for the that is very clearly that but isn't like explicitly said that. yeah but yeah i've never i never had a problem with it even though i didn't particularly like love it mm. It didn't last very long, did it? Uh, like, I think it was, like, Nakamura and him, basically. Yeah, for our cool two wrestlers under the age of 30. And then, like, and then like it was unified or just dropped. I guess part of it also does something you generally don't want to do in wrestling, and that's draw attention to people's ages. Mm. Like, you don't really want people realizing Damian Priest is, is in his early 40s, you know? <laughs> No. That's the thing you don't really want. So you, you you can avoid that by having anything that's even linked remotely to age. But of course, uh, this was settled in the G2. Oh, cool. Sure. <laughs> the, the G2, which is so funny, which uh, Tana did win. And then they did the G2 in 2005, which Tanahashi won. He is the ace. He won the G2 twice. He is the G2. Two. Two. He's the G2 time winner. Tana is very young here, so that means he is very good at moving. <laughs> Yes, he uh, he has his speed and his ability, which seems like a hot take. Which is this like is, the Tanahashi seemed like one of those guys that was just timeless, one of those guys that the time would never catch, and then this year time caught him, and then it's like then go watch like young Tana where he is, he has all that explosion and all that energy, and he looks awesome. It's like oh. Well, it's like, he has high energy. Yeah, you only had, like, 15 years of being the best wrestler of all time. How dare you? Yeah, go on, please. You are not eternal? God damn it. 
<laughs> yeah, they should be eternal. Like, this match is, it's nothing special. It's not like the full Hiroshi Tanahashi AJ Styles match you would like. It's like a three and a quarter star match. But it's pretty enjoyable for what it is, I think. You, you would have liked them to go all out. I think it's only 11 minutes and then the finish ends around, like, Shannon Moore bullshit. So it's not like the, the full blow away match you would hope. There wasn't a lot of opportunity Yeah, there. The, 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 it's, they didn't have the framework, for, I suppose, for, like, a, a full, like, knockout, drag out match between these two that you, you eventually got in like 2015 but it's pretty good for what it is it's a it's a fun little historical note and it's fun to see tanahashi and tna during this era and it's like yeah and it's, it's fun to see that and then look on and where they would eventually you know be competing for the iwgp world heavyweight title a ton well not the world heavyweight title that's a different bro more runs out and accidentally strikes tana with the mr tna plaque styles drops more with the pele and then beats tana with the styles clash tana shows respect to aj after the match and hands him back his plaque but then more just steals it anyway i think didn't they also do the thing where it's like ten, like aj didn't see the the striking with the the plaque or whatever yeah i think a, the aj had the thing where he just saw tana was down and hit with the Styles clash from one yeah so like they kept like AJ didn't, like, take advantage of it just to win or anything. Yeah, he just ran off more. Uh, so the, then the other, the other thing is the exhibition trios match. We missed the Chris Saban against the Biss TV match, which I thought was good fun. Those two have good chemistry. Hmm. Wasn't much happening. Dave Hebner was there again. Abyss goes to swing Saban into the steps <laughs> and just skims it at first. And then he's like, no, nah, I'm going to fucking kill you. What is, I wonder what David, uh, David Hebner's notes on that was. I would, I would always love to see that. It's like, mm, good, good tornado DDT from Chris Saban. <laughs> <laughs> three and three quarter stars uh dave has a tremendous burn in the observer about this match <laughs> dave hepner was watching again and this time it was noted he was wearing a tna impact t-shirt i wonder if annie came up missing at the end of the night <laughs> 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 fucking got him <laughs> uh so yeah we already talked about the setup for the other match so uh, the the gen next trio are complaining about opportunities they did win their tv match and then they ultimately got a pay-per-view match against Saban, Sanjay, and Matt Bentley. And it was worse than the TV match, but it was fine. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, not exactly a, as strong of a crew. Yeah, Dawn is once again ogling over Tracy Brooks. Because she, she has her schoolgirl look, which is probably her more iconic look. No, no, you say the exact co- co- quote. Uh, Dawn is loving Tracy's little schoolgirl look. Ugh, oh, oh, shiver just went down my spine. <laughs> great. They are very horny for Tracy Brooks at the moment. <sighs> this is where Shelly and Saban both had the blonde looks. So it's just team, just guy, just team. So close shit so far. Strong cuts off Bentley's super kick with a sick kick, allowing Shelly the chance to roll up Bentley for the win. I appreciate Bentley was still, he saw Strong coming, but I'm like, I'm still going to go for a super kick. I can get it. <laughs> it was fun. It was a good sick kick. Hey, backstage at the pay-per-view, Matt Bentley and Alex Shelley got into an argument over the finish of their opening six-man tag match. Bentley got so upset that he challenged Shelley to a fight. Austin Aries, the calmest man in the room at all times, was in the middle of trying to calm things down. Alex had an idea for a finish. Shane didn't like it because it would leave egg on his face, but Alex was adamant. Shane overreacted. Thanks, Aries. It was, it was, it's a freaking, it's an opening six-man tag. Come on, Matt Bentley, calm yourself down. I'm not so Shelly, it's an opening six-man tag. Maybe be willing to, to move on the finish. Yeah, maybe just be willing to hit Matt Bentley with two more moves before you win, you know? Yeah. Maybe he was mad about the idea that, like, why would I still go for my super kick while this I see this guy coming? Because you think you're that good. Mm, but yes, thank you, Austin Aries, cam man. Rational man, some might say. The most rational man in the business. That's what Garrett's always said. Mm, that brings us to the tag team division, in which the NWA World Tag Team title program is America's Most Wanted versus Team 3D, after Team 3D beat AMW in a tables match at Turning Point. 
Like a lot of this build is tied into the the Jarrett stuff, but Team 3D on the 17th have a match against the Diamonds in the Rough. So we're going to talk about my Diamonds in the t- Rough realization. Oh, what was your realization? That Cyber Diamond is QT Marshall. And that Diamonds in the Rough are the factory. When you mentioned that, you first posited this on the watch along, which you can listen to at tnhad.com. And I was like, oh my god. It's, it's, oh my god. <laughs> it's a one-to-one. It's so upsetting how like close that is. It's like, oh my god. Uh, everyone needs a QT Marshall on their roster. And Simon Diamond just happens to be the TNA QT Marshall. It's insane. They look the they same. They do. They have the same energy. They have the same, like, physique. They have the same build. They have the just same face. Same hair. Yeah. <laughs> They're the same person. They have the, they have the same, like, tracksuit. QT's probably a better worker. Yes, definitely. But other than that... It's it's too much. Mm. So, yeah, this match, uh, it was fine. They show some uh, media coverage from the base brawl that just happened at Turning Point. The crowd chants, you screwed Brett at uh, Dave Hebner, who this is where he first shows up, and I, I really enjoy that. <laughs> He's not early, fools. All Hebners are the same. Diamond tries to interfere, but Skipper accidentally nailed him. Doomsday device to Skipper, 3D to David Young, gives them the win. The Dudleys have informed All Japan that they are committing to TNA, won't be able to work any more dates in Japan. They cancelled their January bookings. They had just been given the, the win in the real world tag league so all japan aren't entirely pleased yeah i wouldn't be if i put in these okay, guys you won the tournament and you, they'd never work all japan again by the way i checked that it's like nope they won that tournament then they never worked all japan again who did they come back for when they cut the bullet club promo uh wrestle one uh, that was that was the wrestle one teenager. that was the bad for glory yeah mm. that's the funniest shit i remember being in the wootube like on the show after they did that and everyone just be like fucking dudley's better not be here <laughs> Uh, there was a, another story that they were willing to work some January dates, but the, uh, obviously stuff about TNA tapings got in the way and all Japan were just like, okay, don't care. <laughs> Uh, Devon is said to be working out harder than ever to trying to get the best shape just so he can show up WB management. There are whispers in TNA that it'd be nice if Bully had the same attitude, which is a bit mean, <laughs> toward getting in shape. <laughs> Don't worry, they're going to turn it into a whole bit. Uh, yeah, they'll be eating Twinkies and he'll lose some weight and then he will actually lose some weight and become a great world champion. Uh, yeah, right. Bully's stiffness in the ring has been an issue with some opponents so far. They become the road warriors. They don't sell Wait. for anyone. <laughs> some like that he's being <laughs> stiff with America's Most Wanted, who can continue to carry a rep as being coddled by management and having egos bigger than the resume justifies their resume Whoa. fucking fully justifies what? any ego they have you pieces of shit so how's this the first time we're hearing of this yeah there's there's like this like we, we've talked about it before i think about how like sometimes when amw are losing they have like a real boo-boo face yeah and like we, we had told like that they wanted more money but like that never felt like undeserved i think when again we, we talked about this i think in like 04 where, where we were talking about how like there was this perception that it wasn't just AMW, we talked about it with AJ as well, that like guys like AJ and AMW were unfairly management favorites compared to some others. And I'm like... And it's like, it's not unfairly. They deliver in everything they give Yeah, they're management favorites because they're the best wrestlers in the company. <laughs> not because of anything they've been unfairly given. I'm sorry, Simon Diamond. And that's the thing. Yeah, it's all probably like fucking BG. You know, BG being like, why do AMW yeah. get all the tag team matches and we never get any of the tag team matches? Maybe because AMW's tag team matches are good. And they rock. Mm. Yeah, let's blame BG. It's always BG's fault. Anyway, James Storm has the bad rep. <laughs> Fuck off. Bully's chops are considered among the hardest in pro wrestling. He's just the joke about it, says one wrestler. <laughs> and he's always been that way. That's what you get with him. Yep. Uh, the end of the show uh, angle there is when the, the 3D came out to face off against Planet Jarrett as well. 
In the JPEG the Mafia. The JPEG Mafia! Chris Harris faced Christian in the main event of the uh, December 24th show, which we've already talked about. Uh, 3D Funeral was shown as one of the impactful moments of 2005 on the December 31st show. <laughs> awesome. Uh, on the New Year's special, uh, 3D made the same, it's the same stuff. It's, it's all the same stuff. <laughs> and then, of course, the return of Love It and Quartermain. Buck has hair! It's insane. He's not bald! It shouldn't... It shouldn't... It's like going back and watching BJ Whitmer, and you're like, why does this man have a fucking ponytail? Yeah, I was like, my god, they're not identical bald men anymore. So this is the January 7th episode, which opened with Team 3D against Lex Lovett and Buck Quatermain. And I am uh, disowning them now, by the oh, way. Oh, you only liked them when they were bald? Yes. And when they were briefly, uh, but not at all, managed by Johnny Fairplay? Yes. Which they, they shot that pay-per-view segment once where Johnny Fairplay is like, hey, you need a manager? And they're like, yeah, sure. And then he never managed them. That was the peak of their run. Classic Johnny Fairplay blindside right there. Uh, Team 3D pin love it with a 3D. Then Bully gets on the mic and runs down all the titles they've won. They've run 18 title reigns across WCW and ECW and uh, the WWE. That's a Quarrel Company too. But at final resolution, they hope to add the NWA World Tag Team titles for the first time. And then Bully tells a tremendous lie, which is he'd give up all all 18 reigns just to win the NWA World Tag Team titles once. Doesn't he say that about multiple? Like, he d- didn't he do that for the IWGP I'm as sure well? he did. It's a great lie. Like, it's, it's it's an obvious lie. It's something you like, you don't mean that. But I appreciate your willingness to say it. Yeah. Uh, 3D also appear at the end of that show to clear everybody out for the, the Sting tribute. And then 3D also appear uh, in the main event of the Go Home show. So there's a lot of, like, the, they're, they're kind of just intertwined. And, they're just doing run-ins. Yeah, they're running in for schmozzes and, and saves. And there's, that's the build to the NWA World Tag Team title match at Final Resolution, which is America's Most Wanted defending against Team 3D. Sorry. So the finish of this match. Let's start with the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Gale gets a handful of powder and gives it to Chris Harris. Yeah, cocaine. Yeah, but Bully knocks the powder simultaneously into Chris Harris's face and referee Rudy Charles. Fine. They hit the 3D <laughs> on Wildcat Chris Harris. They pin him. The referee counts one. He counts two. He counts three. And the new... NWA World Tag Team Champions. Yeah, exactly. Our team. Music 3D. hits. No, music doesn't hit. Everyone, it's very important to know. Wait a minute. Music does not hit. Music doesn't hit? But music always hits. Yeah, regardless. It's not like the referee tees up the music. The music always hits. But for some reason, the music never plays. This is the day the music mm. died. Rudy is still blinded. Team Canada runs out. They lay out Team 3D and place Harris on top of Bully. Rudy finally clears the powder out of his eyes, and despite counting the three for 3D pinning AMW, he awards the match to AMW because he sees Harris on top of Bully. (laughs) It is so stupid. It isn't, like, old-time lol TNA. It is one of those that, like, there's a version of this you can do where they don't, like, he yeah. gets the visual pin on Harris, somebody flips it, and then you they get screwed that way. Perfectly fine. Like, totally fair. The referee counted three. <laughs> Team 3D won the match. Where's Larry Zabisco? <laughs> Where is Larry Zabisco? Jackie Gata needs to reveal the, that they're in conspiracy cahoots right now. 
Well, that's the thing. Maybe Larry Zbysko is still on the side of Planet Well, he is. That's the story, though. <laughs> but they just didn't reveal it. That's why he didn't reveal it. He should have come out and, like, affirmed the decision. It's like, Rudy, what's your final decision? My final decision is America's Most Wanted. And it's like, listen, referee's decision. I can't do anything. That would have been a good bit. But, yeah. What a, it's very dumb. It's really, really dumb. You cannot, like, actually count the finish. You can't have the referee actually count the finish. <laughs> It's so funny. Uh, it's real. It's, 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 but it's so funny bad that I actually it, like it. And I don't it care. is. It's one of those things where like at the time, if this happened, you would be like, this is so dumb. This is so stupid. AEW did this on Dynamite. I would shoot a motherfucker. Whereas now that we're 18 years in the past, you can like, <laughs> it, it, yeah. it is the, the, the very right kind of stupid. It's incredibly dumb. Though I will say before this match, there was a, an important moment in TNA history, Liam. Hmm. Adrenaline rush, adrenaline rush. There was a video package for Team 3D versus AMW set to the debut appearance of Adrenaline Rush, which will famously become the Impact outro song. It will become the Impact intro song for one episode, but it will become the Impact outro song with like, like a little music video that shows the, the happenings that happened on Impact that week uh, set to Adrenaline Rush every week. So it, it becomes a very important part of TNA history. But yeah, Adrenaline Rush, this is where we first hear it for a Team 3D versus AMW video package. Adrenaline Rush, yeah. Oh my god, are we gonna have to make that an outro song now? Nah, it's too much effort. Oh god, you, you can't use the 17 seconds of Adrenaline Rush. Fine. God, you always love making me do work. Yeah! <laughs> once you cut it the first time, all you'll have to do is copy-paste it. Forever. Yeah, but then I have to I have to cut it once, and I have to adjust the audio levels, and I have to fade it out properly, and maybe fade it in a little bit. That's like three minutes of work. <laughs> yeah, but then we get to have Adrenaline Rush. Adrenaline Rush, Adrenaline Rush now. Yeah, he's in. We end the show, as we always do, with the four live crew family drama. Adrenaline Rush! <laughs> December 17th Impact Franchise has truth in Conan If you remember at Turning Point Conan's like Fuck all this shit I'm gonna beat the shit Out of Kip James And BG James with a chair He awesome. was finally fed up Of all their bullshit And their lies And their their, their equivocating <laughs> And their nonsense And he is like I will finally Brain them I'm done with the shit Exactly And then Briefly like Oh no They're not gonna do it <laughs> So Franchise is like Why did you kill Kip And Conan Completely consistently Is like I've always hated him I have never trusted him. Which is fair. He has always hated him. He's not He's not wrong. He Like, he is a man of conviction. There is not a moment in this entire process, which we've been going through for, like, nine months now, in which Conan has not been like, I fucking hate Kip James. Yeah. There was, like, one week, maybe, where he's like, I'll, I'll try to be on the same side. And he's like, no, I'm hitting him with a chair. After Conan talks for, like, a minute, Truth is still like, I don't get it, man. Why'd you do it? And then... He's just, he's so broken up. About Truth it. is like, I'm also done with this shit because I'm tired of it. Which is, like, again, fair. Mm. Truth. And Truth just tries to move on and no one lets him. Yeah, he, he is so done with this. He, he beats Kenny King in a squash match and Bullet Bob tries to be like, can you put this together? And uh, uh, like, can, can you can you put the, the, the 4LK back together? Can you can you try and get us all back on the same page? And then Truth is like... And then Truth dances <laughs> on him. He starts stunting <laughs> he on him. He does, he starts dancing like I'm done with this. And Bullet Bob sadly walks down the ramp. <laughs> I actually thought, like, Bob was pretty great in everything he yeah, did. Yeah, he's a good wrestler. In, in that he's not wrestling. But, yeah, yes. but like, he's, he's just good at all of this. You know, all the little nuances that he needs to do for this program, he's really good at. Yeah, he's great. So, December 31st Impact, Bullet Bob's talking to Conan. I love it. I love this. I think it's so good. So, Conan's like, I still hate Kip. I hate him. And Bob's like, I know you hate him, but we can fix this. And then it's like, when you got lost, when you got stuck, uh, when the airplanes were grounded at Christmas, who was there for you? And he's like, oh, you were. 
It's like, when you got that concussion, who was there for you? It's like, all right, you were. And then Conan says he'll shake their hands and he'll ask for an apology. Bullet Bob was so good in this segment that I believed that, <laughs> they, that Conan was going to just say, yeah, and then they were going to keep going with You thought this. we were just going to get another three months of Tree Life crew. I want a hot full life crew. 100%. So then we cut later in that show backstage as Conan, Apollo, and the debuting Homicide are attacking Bullet Bob yeah! backstage. I was, I was so, Bullet Bob did such a good job at, in that segment that my first instinct was, no, Bullet Bob! And then I was like, Homicide! <laughs> So while they're beating the shit out of him, he introduces Homicide, and he's like, whoa, 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 so cool, cool your jets. We want to hurt this old man. We don't want to actually kill him. And then he's like, BG, Kip, don't send an old man to do your dirty yeah. work. So we have the formation of the Latin American Exchange, which we formally get the name of on the January 7th impact, as Apollo and Homicide face the naturals. Conan shouts at BG for driving a wedge between them and officially dubs their group LAX, the Latin American Exchange. It, LAX... The greatest stable in TNA history? So there's... Like, it's them or Team Canada. Yeah, and like, I, I like the main event mafia. I think they're a cool act. They're like a top five. Mm. Uh, sex, of course. Yeah, well, yes. That, that's a personal fave, mm. you know. Yeah. The beatdown clan. The, the, the beatdown, which is a cool stable in theory, but in, like the actual practice of it being on television wasn't very good. The BBC. The which? <laughs> the, the, the DCC. DCC, yeah. <laughs> Kingston, Bram, and yes. James Storm. Uh, the Decay. Decay is a cool stable. Yeah. But I, to me, it's LAX. Yeah, they, they probably are. Because LAX are both, when you get to the Homicide and Hernandez incarnation, we're currently still on Apollo, unfortunately. But when you, when you get yeah. Hernandez in there... They're both cool and great wrestlers. And then later on you get the Proud and Powerful version. Which is... is which is also cool and great wrestlers. very, 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 very rare instance of reviving a stable and it's as good as it always was. Especially yeah. reviving it with new people, which never works. It never, ever works. And it worked in that instance. When has there ever been another case of that working? I don't think there is one. <laughs> like, even when you think about big ones, like, every revival of the NWO was worse than the last one. Every DX one was shiter than the Yeah, last like the one. main event Mafia reunion wasn't great. You had like the, the new rockers, stuff like that, which all sucked. Like yeah. it never works to revive an old act with new people. And it did here. And a part of it is like Conan was the connective tissue. So that, that helped. I think, it, yeah, but like most of those other things had connective tissue That's too. That's true. And uh, like the, the fun touch that then they brought back Homicide and Hernandez for a real great feud in 2018. I need to go rewatch. That's honestly, that. I should do one of the complete histories on that. That's probably worth doing one of those on. Please do that, so then I have a reason to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, here they they actually don't win. They immediately attack the Naturals, uh, Slapjack, immediate DQ. BG and Kip try to make the save, but Alex destroy them too before Kip gets a chair and runs them off. So we have LAX. It is currently Apollo and Homicide. I fucking love LAX so much. Fifty one, fifty eight, nothing to mess with. And also, I think LAX's theme is my favorite team. Yeah, they don't have the theme yet. They have the like a just weird Latin song. Yeah, but January. 14th Impact uh, franchises BG and Kip. You love this uh, interview, so you can take this one. I think that this is the best BG James has ever mm. been. Possibly mm. ever. <laughs> like, it is the best he has ever been in TNA, but it may also just be the best he has ever been ever, because he isn't doing mm. shtick. He is doing what arguably he probably should have done, like, if he was born in a better time for him, was 
He was just doing like a territory fired up babyface promo about how the heels took out a member of his family. And it was honest and it was true and it, like, it was just, it's just, it's great. Because BG is one of those guys who is undeniably charismatic. He is a yeah. guy who can talk. But the problem is, you identified the problem, like it's always shtick, it's always bits, it's never serious. He's never doing pro wrestling. He's always just doing catchphrases and he's doing comedy bits and he's never doing a thing that could actually take his skill set which is he's a good, confident promo, and use it to actually sell some pro wrestling, as opposed to just constantly doing bullshit. Whereas, as you said, this interview where he's mad at Conan, and he wonders how how long Conan has, like, hidden these feelings about him and his family, and then he's he just, like, he just shouts multiple times, that was my daddy. Like, he's like, that was my yeah. daddy, and you did that, and I'm coming for you. And it's like, it's as you said, straightforward, it's a simple, straight-to-camera promo, nothing, like, fancy, no bells and whistles, no catchphrases. It is just him doing wrestling and it, it is very refreshing because he can talk and he's talking good for once and of course he immediately ruins it at the pay-per-view by going back to his shtick. yeah when he should have grabbed that mic and said fuck this match fuck us wrestling the goddamn diamonds in the rough we're gonna beat their ass and then we're coming for you conan yeah so yeah the james gang face the diamonds in the rough at the pay-per-view this is bg and kip's first match in tna together they have a generic theme song themselves bg hit their catchphrase as he said and kip wins with the missouri boat ride it was also a feature on 4lk family drama that you also loved before this match and then it was immediately like shut down yeah because they're like ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages and it's like all right i get what this is and like like honestly a feature on the 4lk family drama works because if you cut out all the dumb bullshit in, that's been involved and in, condense it into 30 seconds it probably looks like yeah, a if good you turn view. the nine months into 30 seconds it seems tolerable yeah um also uh brad armstrong legitimately having surgery having knee surgery oh bob uh, yeah bob but uh sorry bob not brad but yeah yeah that, that is um, great because like they jumped him backstage and they tied in the fact that he was getting knee surgery into and, like they rolled footage of him like walking out of the surgery and stuff it's like oh i love pro wrestling and he's still wrestling he, well he was for years Crazy. yeah Yes, at this, at this. Oh yeah, thing. there's that story. Uh, I don't even remember where I put it in the notes. Where it's like a few weeks after that knee surgery, he was wrestling. It's like, God damn it, Bob. He was told not to wrestle until March, but was back wrestling on the 29th. Mm, Bob, <laughs> which Dave clarifies with, he was not moving well. Well, he's a 60 odd year old man who just had knee surgery, Dave. <laughs> As we close out this little 3LK family drama spot with the January 7th impact, there is a Ron Killings versus Bobby Roode match. <laughs> also, like, your friend, Bob Armstrong, was murdered. <laughs> and you're like, time to have a wacky comedy thing with Bobby yeah, he's Roode. over it. He's like, that's your problem. I'm done with all this. Uh, so yeah, th- this, is a, this is a weird thing. So Truth rolled him up and beat him immediately. Rude was like, yeah. no, 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 no. It can't go down like that. Demanded a rematch. Truth obliged. The crowd were chanting one through three, presumably foreshadowing Sean Waltman showing up at the pay-per-view. Uh, then Rude tried to use a hockey stick. They ring the, ring the bell. The match starts. Uh, Rude tries to use a hockey stick. Truth rolls him up and beats him again. <laughs> Just immediately. And was like, only a coward would take this victory. <laughs> you beat him twice immediately. They do restart the match. I don't think Truth even really accepts it the third time. They just restart the match. Uh, Truth was lining up an axe kick, but Demore connected with a Northern... Sorry, Truth was lining up an axe kick on Demore, but Rude connected with a Northern Lariat for the win, which sets up a pay-per-view rematch as it does. Beating him twice in like 10 seconds was not conclusive enough, so Bobby Rude faces Ron Killings on the pay-per-view again. Earlier in the show, Franchise has Truth. Conan is mad because Truth isn't calling him back. Truth is just happy to be free from all this 4LK drama, but Conan's like, no, you can't get out, man. 
Blood in, blood out. Truth has no problem with Conan, but can't trust Conan after what Conan did to Bullet Bob. Conan offers Truth the assistance of LAX and tells Truth to think about it. Ooh. Presumably the American in the Latin American exchange. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Truth has What's Up written across his ass But he does not yet have What's Up as his theme song I presume it's just a thought gestating in his head He still has the 3LK theme song He's the one that kept that As he should Uh, Conan comes out and briefly distracts Truth Allowing Rude to hit a northern lariat for the win BG tries to get to Conan But Homicide attacks him Ron doesn't help and just leaves Kip makes the save Nailing Homicide with a chair as Conan bails I reckon like Homicide and BG would have a real great plunder brawl Yeah there would be a lot of blood yeah. It might be a little too, as like, 1998 WWF hardcore match, though. Yeah, I was like, transfer them back into, like, the 1980s mm. and then do that match. You would need it to be more of a homicide match than a BG match. Yeah, or, like, BG, like, inheriting his uh, territory genes for one night mm. only. So you may notice, if you were watching the segment, Apollo didn't come out with Conan and Homicide. Uh, because they decided to get good. And Apollo may not be welcome <laughs> back for a while after missing his scheduled pay-per-view pre-show match. TNA management wants to be consistent about how they handle those shows, and since Jeff Hardy and Sean Waltman were suspended, Apollo likely will be. Apollo was brought in at the recommendation of Dust Mantel, who knew him from his days booking Puerto Rico. Apollo, though, isn't considered a strong performer with much upside since he can't cut promos and isn't considered a strong worker. <laughs> well, yeah, that'll, that'll He's popular up. among some in the locker room for other reasons, though. Hmm. hmm. I wonder what that guy could be popular with the locker room. No for. way of knowing. Uh, so yeah, Apollo's done. This is this is that incredibly jacked individual. Is this the end of Apollo? I didn't check that. You might have to do a retrospective for Apollo, Liam. Oh, Garrett. Yeah. Allow me to go to the Apollo Wikipedia. And remember all of the Apollo matches. Yeah, this is it. He does one house show match in Puerto Rico, pal. Time to to talk about the life and career of Apollo. El Leon. Oh, yeah, the mask gimmick. I totally forgot about that. (laughs) Garrett, Garrett, Garrett. Yes, sir. 41 matches in TNA history. 41 matches. In July of 2002, mm-hmm. we saw the beginning right. of Apollo and TNA. Well, he was on the very first show, but sure. Would you shut he up? Was in the, he was in the gauntlet <laughs> on the first. He is a TNA original. Yeah, I'm saying 2002. You said July. It's June. Fucking hell. Wikipedia's wrong there. Do you remember? <laughs> no. Apollo versus Jeff Jarrett. No. With Ricky Steamboat, a special guest. I don't. Referee. I honestly don't. I have no memory of that either. Garrett, do you remember El Leon attacking Jarrett and facing him in a street fight? I do kind of remember that one. Before unmasking and forming a team with D-Lo They Brown. were tag champs. <laughs> they did that thing where they switched the belts two weeks in a row by DQ. I forgot about that. Oh. When they defeated Kid Cash and Dallas. Mm. <laughs> do you remember mm. the nightstick on a pole match? Oh, when it fell down a bunch. <laughs> yes. That was fun. Do you remember when... Apollo made his return to TNA under the DOA's open door policy, mm. defeating Sunny Siaki. Whoa. Before forming their amazing tag team. The most notable uh, match of which is the death of Chris Candido. Well, yes. But but they were also defeated by Simon Diamond and Triton at Slammiversary. It was a Slammiversary match. <laughs> it was a free show, but still. Garrett, do you remember when Apollo helped Conan and Homicide beat up Bob Armstrong? It was a good segment. Homicide was there. It was cool. He threw a sick sidekick. He did throw a sick side, and kick. no one can take that away from him. And but the thing, the problem, the problem, the problem with Apollo is, unlike a Sunny Siaki, you didn't really see it ever mm. with him. It's like with Siaki, you at least saw moments, but there was there's nothing. 
I've never watched Apollo in Puerto Rico. And I would love to watch it just to see, like, how. (laughs) You know? Yeah. This bland guy who's no good is a huge star there. And I just want to see, is it just something that doesn't translate to the US? Is there something about him in Puerto Rico that feels, like, transformative and different? Is he, like, a great, like, promo in Puerto Rico? Yeah, that might be it. He just can't, like... But he doesn't have physical charisma either, though. Like, he's so boring. We should watch some modern day Apollo. Maybe not modern day, but I might try and watch some Apollo as Prime just to be like, what? what's the deal here? You know? Garrett, do you remember in the future on December 21st, 2007, when he signed a contract with the World Wrestling Entertainment? No. And then when he was released four months later? He hasn't wrestled since June this year. Well, he's, I'm surprised he wrestled He only had year. two matches this year, so he seems to be like a special attraction here and there. He also did some MMA. He hasn't been particularly active and since basically COVID hit, it seems. Even then, 20, 2019, he wasn't too busy either. Unless the, he's working locals that just aren't getting picked up by cage match. In 2007, he was arrested for missing child support payments. Cool. Oh, no. What? And that's where we're going to end talking about him. Oh, good. Cool. That's it. That's the end of the podcast. Apollo's gone. We'll never mention his name again. His, his son wrestles now. <laughs> I don't even want to know. Oh, I mean, I'll tell you after. <laughs> that is the end of our Final Resolution 2006 episode. <laughs> what a positive <laughs> note to end it on. Um, An okay month. Not a, not a particularly special month, but it was an okay month. Yeah, like, not a bad month, but not one that I've, I I would be excited to revisit anytime the soon. The classic goes down easy, but not particularly memorable. Yeah. 2006, though, we're heading into Garrett. What are your hopes and ex- expectations for TNA in the year 2006? I think they're going to sign Kurt Angle. I think that's fucking ridiculous. They're going to go for a big swing. They're going to sign Kurt Angle. I think they're going to sign CM Punk. Oh, you will get a Punk match graphic in the next couple of weeks. My God. You look forward to that. Um, I, I, we're still in the era of TNA, which I know nothing about. Yeah. Even when, like, Kurt's there, I don't know, like, I wasn't watching that and, like, really knowing about Kurt being there or anything until, like, 2009. Anything could happen here. Anything could happen. I I mean, I've seen the Kurt debut, but that's about it. That's not until September. Well, he doesn't show up until October. Well, there we go. Exciting stuff. Um, we'll be back soon with drafting and with awards and with, I assume, another month of TNA at some point. I don't think they closed up. in the first month of no, January. No, we'll be talking about it against All Out 2006. And then we'll also be talking about New Japan Which, Rain Takers on the Patreon, Gary. We have a little that? bit of a catch-up to do, but we'll we'll catch up. That one we look forward to catching up to, so it's fine. Uh, Lucha Underground. I think that's the only series we're doing that at the moment. everything that will be coming your way in the next few weeks. And you can follow us on Twitter at TNA... YouTube yeah, channel. Well, I've included that, sure. You can follow us on Twitter. Give us money. Yeah, Patreon. Patreon. Slash... Send it to me directly on my PayPal. Hey, wait a minute. Cut me out. <laughs> yeah, any of the money that you would have given to the Patreon, give it to me, and I'll download the files, and I'll yeah. send them to you. If you want them to go directly to me. God damn it. You're like Earl Hebner. You you have one episode where we're talking about Dave Hebner and you want to sell our podcast yeah. at the back of a car. You know what I say? I say go fuck yourself. You can follow us on Twitter at DNA3Pod. Follow me on Twitter at JaseyCarrotKidney. Follow Liam on Twitter at TheGleamMuda. You can subscribe to us on YouTube at You've Got To Be Kidding Me or follow us on TikTok at dna 3 Thanks for listening and bye-bye. It's 2.30 a.m. Goodbye. Do the damn thing. Hey everybody, my name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. 
We talk a lot about pro wrestling media. We talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture. And we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks.